WWE Immortals. Okay. Have you not heard about this? Um. No. It's a um. It's a a uh, iOS Android game that is coming out tomorrow for free. Um, that base it's done by I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, Mortal Kombat series. Uh, I remember the one in the arcade we used to play. All right, well the the ones that made the last two Mortal Kombat Nine and Mortal Kombat Ten, the one that's about to come out, and the uh, Injustice Gods Among Us game, which is doing DC superheroes as in like a more Mortal Kombat esque fighting game. Uh huh. Uh, they are taking, uh, at I believe on launch, it's going to be 15 wrestlers and basically making them superheroes, and they are going to be fighting. Okay. Like, like the report I read is like Seamus is an actual Celtic warrior. Oh, of course. Um, Roman Reigns looks like a Roman, and I actually saw his finisher, Roman Reigns is a Roman centurion. That's right. And it's he looks pretty badass. Someone God, who was the uh let me let me if I can get their website back up here. Uh sure. Superman will be played by John Cena. I'm pretty looking at the art for him, I'm pretty sure that's what he is. Um yeah. uh do, 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 do. Paige is a dark sorceress. I think you would like Paige. Let's see, let's see. Paige Diva. Let's Google her really quick. Page. She's from, uh, she's from, um, oh crap, they got relegated last year. TNA? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, they got relegated from the Premier League. Oh, oh, uh, Cardiff? Norwich. Oh, Norwich. Oh, okay. She's from Norwich. <sighs> Guess who is on, uh, Men and Blazers this week? Oh, I saw it. It's that guy whose name I don't remember, but he's a wrestler. Bad news, Barrett. Yeah, yeah, him, yeah. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Ah, He's hilarious. He's awesome. I like I, I like Paige in a a weird sort of way. Yeah, she's not like classically like blonde. Yeah. Hot. She, she looks like an evil um Who who's the girl that was in Glee? Not that I ever watched it, but it was she was the the dumb girl from Glee. She was like the the main female character. Um, only one I ever knew was that uh, Leah Michelle. That's probably who I'm thinking of. That is. Let me let me let me Google her. See, Leah Michelle was like kind of tan as shit. Yeah, well, that's why I say she looks like the evil British version of her. Yeah, a little bit more. I'm thinking in the face. Not in the face. Not in the face. Oh, so she's a Norwich supporter. Uh, I guess. Oh, oh, she just is from Norwich. Yeah, she's from Norwich. Yeah. It's gone. It's gone a little more British. Like, they're getting some British guys. Like, one of the top guys in NXT is is from Newcastle. Oh, he's a Geordie. Yeah, he's a jury. I mean, he, they showed him, like, going home and, like, went to a match at St. James Park. And, you know, because he was, like, famous now, he got, like, a free, you know, or he got to, like, go down on the pitch, like, when no one was in there and walk around St. James Park. Mm-hmm. That's, that all sucks. The American fans are going, oh, what is this, man? Her name is, her name is Soraya Jade. 
And she's going by the name Paige? <sighs> That's her name. Dude, oh no, Soraya Jade is so much cooler. Yeah, I guess so. You don't want to use your real name. Wait, are you saying John Cena's real name isn't John Cena? I think it is, actually. Of course. It's like Anthony or something, but yeah, John. Oh, John. Bob and John. John Cena is such an outlier. I mean, do you think uh, do you think Dwayne Johnson's real name is The Rock? <laughs> no, no, that's what I know. But that's now, cool. Like Dwayne Johnson is a kind of a stupid name. But I mean, that's his real name is Dwayne Johnson. Well, no, and I get that. I'm just saying, like, if okay, if you can be called as a wrestler, The Rock or Dwayne Johnson, you're going to go for The Rock. Oh, I think Soraya Jade is a really cool name, actually. Get with that. And that's just her first name. That's that's a hyphenated first name. You know I'm a big fan of the hyphenated first names, Wes. Oh, you are a big fan of the hyphenated first names. Um, no, the best one ever, though. You remember um, the guy who died this past year, the Ultimate Warrior? Oh yes, yes. He had actually legally changed his name to Warrior. Oh, that's fantastic. So like now his uh, his widow and his children, their last name is Warrior. That's. That's kind of cool, actually. His his wife's name is something like, like Christina Warriors. <laughs> oh my god, that's that's awesome. That's that's taking kayfabe to an incredibly weird place. It's real to me, damn it. Oh, you know it is. Oh, you know what else? You know what else is real? Oh God, don't say it. Yes. It's well, episode 37 of the all-new Sports Show podcast. No one can prove this show is real. It's true. It, this, this, show, this, this show is so entrenched in kayfabe, it's not. This show is all kayfabe. Uh, welcome to the all-new Sports of the podcast, episode 37, everyone. I am Edward Green, joined as always by producer Desmond McManus and my colleague Wes Bradshaw. We have a great show for you here this week. Uh, we are going to be running down everything in the sport and zeitgeist world. Uh, we have an interesting weekend in the Barclays Premier League to get to. Uh, we have FA Cup. I, I emailed the, the rundown for you, and I described it as FA Cup replay lethargy. Well, nobody told these teams that were in the replays that there was anything lethargy about it. We always some... get the shoot. Yes, always fun. Adrian dropped the gloves for West Ham. Tim Howard totally would have scored for Everton. Uh, we also have to get to the Balloon d'Or results. Uh, transfer window updates, including two big uh, names from the USMNT on the move back to MLS and a record-setting deal for Swansea. We, of course, have an NCAA football championship game to recap. Of course, Wes, since I believe you were the only one of us that watched it, you're going to be you're gonna be solo on that. Luckily, McManus, uh, McManus was so freaking drunk, That's I don't think true. he could make his way through it. That's true. He, he hasn't shaved in like three weeks. This is getting kind of discouraging over here. Uh, we, of course, will be recapping the divisional round of the NFL uh, NCAA basketball, there have been quite a few upsets. Uh, one did not happen in Raleigh tonight, uh, but we will be getting into some other ones, including uh, the Miami Hurricanes beating Duke, which means Wes now cares about NCAA basketball again. We're a basketball school, dude. I've always told you this. Of course you are. Uh, which means we'll also be getting our first look at the Bracket Matrix. Uh, then we'll hit the zeitgeist for our dumb NFL story of the week. Uh, the NCAA kind of dumb story of the week. Uh, watch for and so raw where we, you know, who else is so raw? West Jeff Hardy. 
That kid took one, didn't he, man? Yes, he did. Yes, that he took did. One. We yeah. will... it's, it's, but, but even after that, Ed, I, I must really say, I've seen Jeff Hardy take harder bumps. <laughs> yeah, Je- Jeff Hardy's kind of like in this... Uh, Jeff Hardy's kind of in a class by himself. Well, we are also in a class by ourselves, and if you want to get up with us on the social media to let us know how we are... Uh, you can get up with us on the Twitter at All New Sport Show is the Collective at West Bradshaw Twenty One or at Edward Green are our individuals. Uh, you can also get Facebook.com slash All New Sports Show where there's actual content now since we're doing games again. Uh, Instagram.com slash All New Sports Show for all our pictures. Excuse me, YouTube.com slash The All New Sports Show for all our videos. I have to burp here. There we go. Uh, email allnewsportshow at gmail.com. And finally, mail us your letters and parcels to 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804. Wes, let us head to jolly old England, where I'm pretty sure it can't be that much colder than it was in North Carolina today. I think they've actually, uh, they're, man, they're having like a heat wave compared to what we did today. Man, that sucks. All right, your scores from this past weekend in the Barclays Premier League. Uh, Sunderland nil, West Liverpool won. We're back, baby. It's that perfect second half. Haven't lost in forever. There you go. Uh, Burnley 2, QPR 1, big, big win for Burnley. Chelsea 2, Newcastle United nil. Chelsea no longer team in crisis. Speaking of the team in crisis, Everton won. Manchester City one big point for Roberto Martinez's men. Leicester one, Aston Villa nil. Swansea one, West Ham one. West Brom one, Hull City nil. Bad news for big uh, Sam Allardyce's side. And Crystal Palace two, Tottenham Hotspur one. Alan Pardew brushes off his manager of the year trophy and gets a win for his new side in his first match with the club. Also on, on Sunday, it was Arsenal three. Stoke nil, and oh, I'm gonna call this match of the week. Manchester United nil, Southampton won. The mystique of Old Trafford beguiled by the Saints of Southampton as Robbie Coman's side gets a much needed three points to vault in to the top three of the table. Wes, let us start though first uh, with. Are, of course, we always like to start with our teams. So let's go to the Stadium of Light, where it was Sunderland one, Liv- or sorry, Sunderland nil, Liverpool one. Jesus Christ, don't change that result. <laughs> it was all a dream. Lazar Markovic was all the scoring Brendan Rodgers' side need as he took a right-footed shot from the center of the box into the goal. It was assisted by Fabio Borini. That was all Liverpool needed as they dominated possession, dominated shots on goal, even dominated tackles. Uh, Sunderland, of course, playing with 10 men for most of the second half, but still managed to get a few good chances on goal that second half. Wes, take us through your thoughts on the Anfield Red. Uh, first 45, man, Liverpool were absolutely rampant. Um, Sunderland very lucky not to find themselves behind 3-4-5-0 in the first half. Uh, Liverpool looked absolutely fantastic coming out. Ninth minute, uh, the young Markovic, who suddenly is... And I must say, the young man looks blooded in all of a sudden. <laughs> there you go. 
I'm telling you, I think I gave up. I gave up on my narrative way yes. too early. You goaded me into giving up on my narrative. But the kids are coming around, man. All I can say, you know, uh, those youngsters that Liverpool bought in the summer. Some of you look at them: Markovic, uh, Lalana, Emery Chan, Moreno, Mankio. Those guys are starting to come around. Do yeah. not ever doubt Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> Other than when he buys strikers, not named uh, not named Daniel Stearns. Then you yeah. get down, but it's okay. <clears throat> um, Markovic was very unlucky later, had an absolute wonder strike that probably would have been goal of the year in the Premier League that hit the top of the woodwork and bounced out on him. Um, <laughs> funny enough, one of, the, uh, one of the players for Sunderland – um, actually they caught his reaction after the shot and his jaw just completely dropped open. Like, Oh my God, I believe it was Connor Wickham. Mm-hmm. Uh, Markovic was absolutely fantastic. He was a demon down the right side for Liverpool. Um, the Reds have, uh, found a way, this new formation, this three, four, three, three, four, two, one, however you want to call that they're setting it up. Uh, you know, it has paid dividends for Liverpool. Uh, the guys playing wingback, such as Markovic, such as uh, uh, Alberto Moreno, you know, those guys have looked really good going forward. Uh, and the back the back three uh, seems to have solidified with Emery Chan coming into the center of back three. Um, also, the return of Mamadou Sako has been <laughs> huge for Liverpool because he has uh, he's been a freaking boss ever since he came back into the lineup, um, and they're even making Martin Skirtle look pretty good. So right now, Liverpool have a lot going for them. Still, though, goals have been at a premium for this team. Um, of course, you know, something we don't see very often. Raheem Sterling was actually uh, sent away on holiday. Yes. Uh, because they just felt he had played a lot. And, you know, for a kid who, I mean, when it comes down to it, we don't think about Raheem Sterling is still 19 years old. Yes. Um, here in the United States, we look at young pitchers in baseball and we're like, you know, are they are they throwing too much too early? We look at young running backs. Are we just running them into the ground? The answer a lot of the times is yes, <laughs> that we are. So, um, you know, Liverpool trying to give Sterling a break. Uh, they felt maybe at uh, Sunderland there would be a good chance for them to do something. Uh, the gamble paid off. If it had not paid off, I'm sure Brendan Rodgers' head would have been near the chopping block. But uh, the gamble pays off, and you get basically two weeks of rest, mm-hmm. uh, including the FA Cup match. You basically get two weeks of rest for Raheem Sterling. And now you get him back for what's coming up to be a really crucial part of the season for Liverpool and their chances of finishing top four. Um, but I'll, I'll give it up. Brendan Rodgers, the game plan is working. You're literally a matter of maybe a few weeks away from the return of Daniel Sturridge. You get, uh, you know, hopefully a refresh Sterling back. I, f- I really believe Liverpool could be in position to make some big noise. You didn't even mention uh, Adam Alana eventually returning from his injury. Um, but you also mentioned uh, very rampant in the first half. What changed in the second half, even with against a 10-man Sunderland, that sort of put this game maybe in doubt a little bit towards the end? Liverpool, to me, just looked like they um, got to a point where they felt they were more vulnerable in the counterattack. 
Um, so I think they just kind of patented it in a little more, switched that formation just a little bit, got a little deeper, and I think they were content to go home 1-0 and, hey, if we can hit them on a counter, that's fine, but we're here to get three points. Stadium of Light is a tough place really for a lot of teams to go. Yeah. Chelsea seems to have problems there. City seems to struggle there. God, my God, Newcastle can't buy a win there. We know that. <laughs> Liverpool has struggled there in the past. So I think once they got that goal and they saw, once it went to 10 men, they kind of saw the attacking impetus of um, of Sunderland die off. I think they were just uh, happy to go home 1-0. Hey, if we got the second goal, great, would have worked. You know, we'd give you a little cushion. I think they were good to go at that point. All right. And, of course, uh, Liverpool were also playing with 10 men in the second half once they brought on Mario Balotelli. But um cha and you know the one thing about Sturge coming back, people the the people who defend Balotelli, yeah. they will point out that his best game of the season was the three nil. Sorry, mm-hmm. no, uh, excuse me, three one, three one. I believe I think, believe you guys got one that three one uh, win yeah. over Spurs, uh, where uh, was actually the last game that Sturge played in before Roy Hodgson uh, yeah. set out to uh, dismantle Liverpool season. Um, that was the best match he had played. Everyone always said he needs to play off of a uh, a very active striker, which is what Sterling is, or excuse me, Sturridge is. <sighs> so there's talk of maybe going to a three, was well, a three four one two, or maybe even going back to the diamond where uh, you play two strikers up top and maybe see what uh, Balotelli can do playing off of uh, Sturridge uh, if Liverpool does not. Bring in a striker in the uh, open in the open uh, transfer season, and we will be commenting on the transfer season <laughs> later on in today's show. Uh, of course, now let us head to Selhurst Park over in jolly old England, where it was Crystal Palace two, Tottenham Hotspur one. Harry Kane's 49th minute wonder strike is erased by a Dwight Gale penalty and a Jason Punchin. 80th minute goal. Alan Pardew gets his first win as head man at Crystal Palace. Of course, Pardew played for Crystal Palace earlier in his glorious career. Um, a sort of listless first half gave way to three goals in the second. Uh, Spurs goal for Kane basically came out of nothing. A little through by all by Chadley took a weird hop. Kane was able to corral and put it in goal. Um, disappointing though for Spurs West, uh, after such a big win in the holiday season, beating Chelsea 5-3 at White Hart Lane, going to Crystal Palace, tough place to play, great home support there as always. That's, that's Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's why I wasn't furious about this decision or this result. Yeah, no, it wasn't great. And yes, you'd like to see Spurs turning the corner and picking up at least a point, if not all three, at bottom place teams. But this is a dangerous team. Like you said, they beat Liverpool uh, 3-0 or 3-1 earlier in the season. Um, it was 3-1. Lord, I can't remember. I'm trying to block that out. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, well, I mean, I would just tell you the one I was more referring to. Was of course last year. That's where uh, yep. it's pretty much where Liverpool's title hopes went to die. Mm-hmm. Was uh, on the field at Crystal Palace when they blew that three 0 lead in the last eleven minutes. 
Absolutely. And, you know, playing for a new manager, that usually changes a club's mood uh, mid-season. Obviously, it happened last year when Tony Pulis took over. And, again, it looks like it might happen this year as Alan Pardue looks to do another Houdini act and bring Palace out of the relegation battle. So, while I'm not thrilled with this result, obviously, for Spurs dropping a potential three points on the road after going up, I can't also be that upset once you take a look at the whole picture, I think. Uh, no. Um, you're still in a position to strike right now at fourth place. Mm-hmm. Uh, shoot, right now, I mean, I guess everybody's actually getting themselves in a position to strike at third. <laughs> so three and four have opened up. I still think United's going to find a way to stay in, but we'll see. Um, taking a point is better than not getting a point. Any day of the week. So, right. you know, hard-fought matches, days like those, just be happy you get something that you come out with and just hope, you know, you take care of your business where you're supposed to. Yes, yeah, Spurs obviously will be playing Sunderland on the weekend at home, I believe. So they will obviously look to rebound there. Um, but I, I, I like what I'm seeing. I still like what I'm seeing for Spurs. And God bless Harry Kane because he he can basically do no wrong now. And I did actually like, I was listening on the way up to Virginia this past weekend, um, the commentators on Talk Sport Live. Uh, and one of them, the, the main uh, announcer was like, Harry Kane looks like he'll be getting a, a England call-up soon. And the color analyst was like, no, I don't think he should go. He's 21. He, he's doing great in the Premier League. Let it go for a couple of months. Just focus on this and then go to England later. Don't worry about it right now. And then let England ruin him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, as a, I, as a Liverpool fan trying to chase down Spurs, feel that uh, right now Roy <laughs> Hodgson should definitely get in there and do anything he can to help Harry Kane become a better player. Hey, maybe they can take both Kane and Andrews Townsend and uh, try to start both of them. <laughs> That'd be fantastic, man. Oh, goodness. Let's naturalize a few guys, too, and do that. Yeah, you probably want to naturalize Christian Erickson. I'd love to naturalize Lloris as well. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, let's head over to suddenly vulnerable Old Trafford, as it's Manchester United nil, Southampton 1, Dusan Tadic with a 69th-minute flair for the dramatic scores from just inside the penalty area, beating David De Gea. And then he ripped off his shirt and went nuts celebrating, which, of course, drew a card. And Wes, what I loved about after the game, Robbie Coleman, head boss at Southampton, said, that's not how we do things. I will talk to him about that, and I will set him straight. And I like that. Even in a win, he knew that that was silly for him to draw a card on that kind of play. Never know what will happen. Obviously, in the next 20 or so minutes... Very good on Robbie Coleman getting a big win on the road against Manchester United, a place that they have really struggled over the years, and to focus on that. That is that is the anti-Mourinho, Wes. You're right. I'm still, you know, I'm in that waiting for the other shoe to drop <laughs> mode with Southampton, and they just seem to keep putting it off every week. It so. might not. That's, it might not drop at this point. I just don't see how that collection of players is going to make the Champions League. Um, but, I mean, God, you never know. You never know this day and age. Crazier things have happened, I guess. Um who was it? Blackburn won the Premier League once. True. So, <laughs> you know, crazy things can happen. I just I don't quite see it. I think they're a definite possibility for Europe. 
I just don't know if the Champions League is going to be their deal. United, Jekyll and Hyde rears its ugly head again with Man United. Just some days, man. No shots on goal, Wes. Not one shot on goal. I'm going to say something incredibly sexist. They're like women. You never know what you're going to get from day to day. Okay. They wake up all crazy sometimes. Um, you know, then we found out this week, uh, Adnan Yanazai looks like he's going out on loan. Mm-hmm. You know, he has not found any sort of a spot at Man United here under uh, Van <laughs> Hall. Um, I was just looking at United, one week you think, man, they're definite, they're in, they're, there's no problem with it. Um, and then the next week, they look like absolute crap. I still feel like, and I, I, this is how I've been saying it for most of the, the season now, I feel like they're a Champions League side. I don't know that they're actually going to finish third. They might end up taking the Arsenal Memorial Trophy and finishing fourth. But I, I, I think they're a top four side. This result, though, this one would really concern me. I mean, and it's, again, nothing against Southampton. Southampton is really good, although they might be without... Uh, Victor Winyama and Morgan Schneiderlin for a little bit, but I, I don't know what it is about Man United that they can't even get a shot on goal at home. I mean, this is a team that was scoring. I mean, is, is it the combination of players right now? Is it is it having Rooney and Di Maria and Van Persie all on at once with Mata? I mean, is this is this almost a place where? We have all these superstars, but we don't really know what to do with them now. Well, it's the old adage, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, apparently that's a song. Sweet. Rude, look it up. Okay. Look it up. Okay. Um, I mean, it just it, it seems like there's too many guys who just want to be the man, you know, want to take somebody one-on-one. Uh, yeah, they're they're working Di Maria back into the fold at the moment. You know, early in the year, Di Maria was one of those. I'm taking the uh, I'm taking the Premier League by storm. Blah 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 blah. Then he got injured. Um, and United, to their credit, actually played really well without Di Maria. Mm-hmm. So now you're getting this ultra talented player back, and you're having to kind of work him back into the fold. And I'm just wondering if maybe it's not all clicking for everyone right now. Uh, I just, God, you've just got to think with that much attacking acumen and the fact that apparently they're going to sign um, uh, Bale. Yeah, yeah, see that happen. Um, and Matt Hummels and Ronaldo <laughs> and uh, Pele and Maradona. You know, it's United. Um, I mean, we got to see if they can survive getting every, getting their house back in order, I guess we'll say. It's, it's going to be interesting now – I believe I also read that uh, through 21 games this season, uh, United have as many points as they did last year. And they do. And, but the problem is, the yes. problem, last year there were half a dozen teams ahead of them who were running away from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the difference is the whole attitude is different this year because you're in a title race. Well, and it's so it's different, too. a Champions League race. I was looking, because they actually showed the graphic of last year's table at this point in time. Southampton's points this year through third, uh, 21 matches, they're in third right now in the table. Last year, that would have been good for seventh. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, the top of the table last year 
was fantastic. I mean, when you look at Liverpool, Liverpool scored nine. Liverpool had ninety points last year and finished second. Yeah, I mean, you know that which that is insane. Only happened. There's a very small handful of times that's ever happened in the Premier League where you score, you finish the year, I believe, right at ninety points and don't win a title. So um, obviously, Manchester City was fantastic last year. Chelsea was fantastic. Arsenal was good. Tottenham can play. You know, there were teams who, and they really they beat up on the bottom of the league. They beat up on the mid table, because you remember there was that top seven, and then there was the gap. Yes, yes. And that's the thing. There was a huge fall off after that to your Man United and your Newcastle, and then there was another huge drop off to the bottom of the table, where everyone was struggling for every single point they could get down there just to avoid relegation. It's 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 really really interesting to see how the Premier League narrative changes from year to year. Um, let's go to a team that dropped a chance to stay tied in the top of the table, and that's at Goodison Park. Everton won, Man City won. Stephen Naismith, you can't stop him if you can't see him. Scores four minutes after Fernandinho opened the scoring for Manchester City in the 74th minute and kept the Wolves at bay for Roberto Martinez for at least another few days. Wes, two points drop for City, or is this maybe the beginning of an Everton turnaround? Um, no on the Everton turnaround. Okay. I just think City, City just does their City things sometimes, man. It's, yeah, City does shitty things. Sometimes. I felt, you know what though? I felt like City would have done this against like Stoke or Hull. I, I'm a little surprised they would do this even at a struggling Everton side. Yeah, but they're still City, and these well, are the teams yeah. City does it against. They do it against the lower teams. You know, they're not going to do it against Arsenal. They're not going to do it against Liverpool. They're not going to do it there where they just, you know, have lapses and drop the points like that. It's going to be the teams that you expect them to beat, the teams that they're dominating, and then teams that a lot of times will score against the run of play. Of course, this game also featured a return of the Kuhn on the 67th minute as Sergio Aguero came on as a substitute for Stevan Jovetic. Um, do you... Do, do we do we have any idea now what's wrong with Everton? Like I know we talked about it last week. Is, is there any is there any light at the end of the tunnel? I know you just said there's no they're not. This isn't the start of a turnaround. But is there any light at the end of the tunnel for Everton? Yes. Uh, first of all, you know when they do get Tim Howard back, that's going to help them some. Um, and you just you've got to figure they can't misfire this bad all season. Um. But right now, you know, the whole, everything of Roberto Martinez, his entire philosophy starts with playing the ball from the back. And right now, they just don't have guys who are confident on the ball. Um, you know, their defenders can't get it to midfield, the midfield can't get it forward, and the strikers can't strike. It's a problem. I mean, it, it's just, <laughs> what is it I said? Uh, they said there were only two parts of the pitch they played bad in, um, attacking and defending. <laughs> Oh, it's yeah, it's the uh, Z- the Zidane paraphrasing, yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, other than the attack and the defense, they're doing just fine, I guess. Um, I, I just, ugh. Everton's going to be in a struggle. I, I don't think they're going to get relegated by any means. Mm-hmm. I don't see them getting themselves back into the top ten, though. No, really I, don't. I don't either. And this is a team that we've picked to finish seventh and sixth, respectively, this season. Um, so. 
Although we also both picked uh, Liverpool to finish third. So, <laughs> but they're not out of that totally. So that's that's true. That's true. I, th- I think that's much more uh, believable than um, Everton getting back up in the seventh. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You're probably right. You're you're yeah. actually probably right. Yeah. I mean, they got a much 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 better chance at this point. So. Well, let's take a look at that table now for the Barclays Premier League heading into this weekend's fixtures. Uh, Chelsea are atop now all by themselves with 49 points. Manchester City now two back at 47. Southampton 10 points adrift but solidly in third by themselves with 39 points. Manchester United in fourth place with 37. Arsenal in the Europa position with 36. And Tottenham just outside with 34 points at the bottom of your heart the relegation zone it's changing weekly at this point crystal palace sunderland burnley all level on points with 20 just outside the relegation zone and inside of it in 18th hull with 19 points in 19th is qpr and 20th is leicester but leicester of course with that big win now they're just three points out of getting out of this relegation zone. This is going to be a crazy end of the year, Wes. I mean, you have a team, you said Everton probably not going to get relegated. They're only three points out of the relegation zone right now, and they're in 12th. Yeah, and the bottom of the table is crazy, man. Anybody, it seems almost anybody anywhere can end up, um, can end up down there. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, anyone from, what, about, Ninth on down. Well, I wouldn't. I would say right now. Right now, I would say twelfth down. Everton, Aston Villa, both have twenty-two, so they're only three points out. Stoke is at twenty-six, so they're about seven points out in eleventh. I, I think Stoke. Yeah, up, they're not. Gonna, they're not going to fall apart. So yeah, I think Stoke, Newcastle, Swansea, those guys are fine. Um, but I think down Everton, Villa, West Brom, and then Palace, Sunderland, Burnley—they're all in danger. Yes, definitely. And it is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a fight because it's been proven this year that anyone can take points off of anyone, it seems Mm -hmm. like. Certainly. No one is safe. Um, Just when you think Leicester or Burnley are done, they they pull themselves right back in the discussion to get out of there. Um, Just, oh, no, man, I would hate, I would hate right now to be down in the 13, 14, 15 spot because things can change in a week basically right now in the Premier League. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, if you're if you're Crystal Palace right now, you're in 15th. But if Hull, QPR, and Leicester all win, you could all of a sudden find yourself right at the bottom of the table. So it's, it's a tricky proposition if you're a supporter of a team anywhere in that 12-20 region right now. Uh, let us take a look at your uh, weekend fixtures. Uh, this will actually be, uh, we'll have these weekend fixtures, and then we'll be off for a week from the Premier League West, but not because of international duty, but because next weekend after this is an FA Cup weekend. So, yay. Back to the Cup. Back to the cup. <sighs> Saturday, September 17th, uh, your day gets started off with six 10 a.m. matches. No early ones, but at 10 a.m. you have Aston Villa versus West Liverpool. Uh, you have Burnley versus Palace, Leicester versus Stoke. 
QPR versus Man United, Swansea versus Chelsea. That could be interesting. See if Chelsea can beat uh, a good Gary Monk side, uh, now especially without Wilfred Boney, but we'll get to that later. Uh, Tottenham hosting Sunderland, and at 12.30, Newcastle hosts Southampton. Let's see if Southampton can keep this train rolling here. On Sunday at 8.30, it's West Ham versus Hull, and at 11 a.m., Man City versus Arsenal. Wes, I think that is going to be a fantastic match at the Etihad. Uh, yeah, I can really see Man City just beating the hell out of them. Oh, it could. Oh, which would be fantastic. I wouldn't have a problem with that. No, of course not. <laughs> and then, um, but yeah. also, you know, Arsenal is so freaking bipolar. True. Would it really shock you if they won that match? Hey, maybe maybe spurred on by the return of Mesut Ozil. Um, Monday Night Football this week, 3 p.m., Everton versus West Brom. We'll see if Everton can get some more points from a fellow relegation zone team. That uh, that could be a big match coming in the yeah. year. Yes, it could. Surprisingly, all of a sudden. Um, like we said, uh, FA Cup fourth round proper will be next weekend. However, this last couple days saw some replays in the third round to get us into that fourth round proper. Uh, the replays included this week. Uh, Bradford City destroying Millwall 4-0 in Bradford. Uh, Wolverhampton, oh, poor Nick Petrovich, draws Fulham 3-3 in Wolverhampton, but lose 5-3 on penalties after a scoreless draw at Craven Cottage just a week ago. Another replay, Bristol City beats Doncaster Rovers 2-0 in Bristol. Uh, Ipswich Town falls to Southampton 1-0, so Southampton will be advancing in a match that I basically didn't care about in for the first 20 minutes. Tottenham 4, Burnley 2. Burnley scored twice in the first eight minutes, was quickly responded by a goal by Polino. Yes, that Polino. And then Spurs scored three times in a seven-minute stretch between the first and second halves. Goals by Etienne Capu, Vlad Kirakesh, and Danny Rose, who was somehow playing on the attacking wing position today. I'm not sure why but hey he scored a goal so that's two in i believe three matches for danny rose as tottenham advance also in probably your match of the week in the fa cup west ham two everton two west ham advances nine eight on penalties uh valencia scored in the 51st minute for west ham kevin morales leveled in the 82nd Romelu Lukaku scored in the 97th, and then I believe Ashley Cole. Is that Ashley Cole? Carlton Cole. I'm sorry, Carlton. I'm sorry, Carlton. Ashley's at Roma. Yes, I'm sorry. He's he's on the beaches of it of Italy right now. Uh, leveled again for West Ham in the 113th minute, and then it went to penalties. And of course, Robles missed his chance for Everton, and Adrian West Ham's keeper threw down his gloves and said, "That is enough. I will end it here." And he buried that with supreme confidence, Wes. Well, I mean, if you're going to have confidence, it might as well be supreme, right? Might as well. Uh, the final replay was Chesterfield to Scunthorpe United nil. So Chesterfield oh, will be in advance. Uh, the lowest remaining side in the fourth round of the FA Cup is Cambridge United. They are from League Two. Uh, they are the only League Two side left in the competition. They will be hosting 
Manchester United at Abbey Stadium in Cambridge, January 23rd. Uh, other uh, important matches, Southampton will be hosting Crystal Palace. Chelsea hosts Bradford City. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur will get Leicester. Uh, Liverpool will be hosting Bolton West. Bolton. Bolton at Anfield. Uh, and so, so a lot of FA Cup goodness to, uh, to sort of enjoy, maybe, if you want. Sure. Hey, it's the round of 32. Enjoy it, and then we'll be on to the round of 16. Uh, before we get to our discussion of the balloon to ore, I want to quickly go through this cool little stat chart I saw. And it's not just saying it's cool because of the Tottenham Hotspur-related reasons. But I actually think this is a cool thing to do. I like how they've they've done this here. It's a um, somebody put together kind of a formula uh, by the group Opta to take how much is every player's goals and assists worth in the Premier League so far. Um, so what they did was they took the individual players' goals, assists, uh, and the goals assists combined, and then they worked out how many points a team would have accrued had a certain player not scored in that game at all. For example, a hat-trick in a 6-1 game gains no points, whereas one goal in a 1-1 draw gets one, two in a 2-1 win gets three, and two in a 2-0 win gets two. Have I lost you yet? Uh, I tuned out a long time ago. Awesome. Uh, so it's regardless of the order of goals, but here's where it gets a little interesting. Right now, combining goals and assists, Harry Kane is at the top of the list right now, He's won Spurs 15 points this Premier League season. And this is basically just playing half the matches so far. Like, he's gotten earned 15 points for Spurs. Alexis Sanchez is in second with 14 points. And then it's Charlie Austin with 12. But he's tied with Nasser Chadley and Christian Eriksen. So out of the top five, I guess Cesc Fabregas is also tied in there with 12. Oh, of course. Out of, so out of the top six players, half of them come from Spurs, which says two things. One, Spurs have had some amazing performances this year. Two, they have been very top-heavy. <laughs> oh, man. But I, I just think this is a really cool way when we've talked about, you know, MVP of the Premier League this season. You know, we've talked about Alexis Sanchez a lot. Very deserving of all his accolades, because he's basically dragged Arsenal on his back for a lot of this season. But when you put in this perspective, man, Harry Kane, we all knew he was important to Spurs' chances this year, but this puts into another perspective how much. I mean, you look at a guy, Diego Costa, according to this, right now would be ranked 15th, because he's only added seven points to Chelsea's winnings this season. Um, and, and, I mean, that is an interesting... Uh chart to go down and then to actually look at the teams and how they're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially one of those Spurs, that one, it, it's just, it's really interesting to look at and just uh, take in. Well, and then you have a guy like Charlie Austin for QPR who's earned them 12 points. And that's because he's basically been their score. He's been their main scorer. Did you know like three or four years ago, he actually owned his own subway franchise? <laughs> Would you ever sell a subway? That's a phenomenal moneymaker. Oh, absolutely! But that's what that's what he was doing. He wasn't playing football. That's that was his job. Well, okay then. So Charlie Austin, QPR strength. Oh, oh boy. Oh, hmm. Ari. Oh, Ari. All right, let's go to the Balloon Dior, uh, which had just some of the most impassioned Sepp Blatter speeches ever. 
Just lovely little thing. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, to nobody's surprise, won the Balloon d'Or for the second straight year. Um, through 2000, uh, since 2010, only two men have won the award: Lionel Messi and Ronaldo. Messi finished second this year, and Manuel Neuer finished third. Um, as for the Puskas Award uh, for best goal of the season. Uh, this year, it was given to one of our favorite players, Wes, James Rodriguez, for his goal against Uruguay in this year's World Cup. Uh, oh, just beating out Stephanie Roach of Ireland in the Women's National League and Robin Van Persie's strike against Spain that he headed in uh, also in the World Cup. But three really good choices, but James, what what a player and what a well-deserved award. It was a phenomenal goal. Um Perfectly taken. That's always a tough one to give out every year, but it was a big match. It meant a lot. Um, and due to it, he gets the award, and um, just thank God the Dutch didn't win. Of course. Um, one I'm a little surprised it was left unranked because I felt that this was just a remarkable goal. I'm not sure if you remember, but Tim Cahill for Australia in the World Cup against the Netherlands. That was an amazing strike. Do you, do you remember that one? I do. Very good strike. Um, I mean, it's it's always one of those deals, you know, you, you've got to narrow it down to three. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's probably 15, 20 that would be worthy of winning it. Of course. You know, we, of course, uh, another unranked one was uh, Zlatan, as he was playing against Bastilla in Lyon. And uh, he did not win, so I'm sure he was very upset by that. He doesn't need to win to justify everything he does. He's Zlatan. He is Zlatan. Zlatan. He does not need FIFA's stupid awards. Zlatan is Jesus. Um, let's go to some of the uh, the transfer news. Uh, I'll take three big stories, and then Wes, if you want to add anything that you've been hearing. Of course, the biggest deal to go down, Wilfred Bonet is going to Manchester City. It looks like it's going to be a four-year deal, uh, and it's a reported sale of £28 million. Uh, a Swansea record, a four-and-a-half-year deal, excuse me, um, the most expensive African footballer as well in the Premier League, narrowing, uh, beating out Emmanuel Adebayor when he moved to Manchester City for £25 million. Uh, Wes, this has been the man who, who scored the most goals in the Premier League in the 2014 calendar year, and the rich get richer at City. They do. Um... You know, it's always it's always a risk. You're always taking a risk when you're a big club and you're bringing in a guy from a smaller club. You know, are they going to work out? Is it yeah? Is it going to just click for them? I mean, of course, the last guy that Manchester City bought from Swansea was uh, Scott Sinclair. True. <laughs> and we're sitting there going, Scott Sinclair, Scott Sinclair. Oh yeah, Scott yeah. Sinclair. He's yeah, Scott that's Scott Sinclair. Sinclair. Yeah, I mean, and you know, there you go, folks. You've never really heard of Scott Sinclair again, other than the fact that he now has his uh, supermodel girlfriend pregnant. So yeah. that's literally the one thing I've heard about Scott Sinclair in the 2015 calendar year. Um, so I, I don't doubt that um, Bonet will be able to go up there and contribute, and probably contribute early. I think he's going to be just fine. Um, I don't know if he's particularly going to be a world beater at City, but I think he's going to be a good player. And really, for the price they paid for him, I mean, they didn't—they did not personally break the bank for him. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I, I say good piece of business for City. Of course, it's nice when you're City and you can just you can just do that as a little piece of business. Gotta love FIFA Fair Play restrictions. Um, moving on, of course, to two big name uh, people moving back to the United States, uh, basically in a straight swap. Josie Altidore is going to Toronto FC for Jermaine Defoe, former Spurs striker, is heading to Sunderland. Um, and it's 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 a very interesting move. Of course, Jurgen Klinsmann, head coach of the USMNT, has been very adamant about his players playing over in Europe. But again, this is another example of if if, if there's it's one thing to train, and we talked a lot about this with Michael Bradley. But if you're not going to get any play time, as it looked like Altidore is basically doing at Sunderland with Gus Poyet, I I think this is actually a good move for Altidore because let's face it, he just needs confidence right now. I mean, confidence. I just don't think the guy's good enough, Ed. I'm sorry. I mean, you're at, he's at freaking Sunderland. It's not like there's anybody world-class above him keeping him out of the team. I'm sorry. At some point, I just think you got to call a spade a spade. I just don't think he's that good you know, on a Premier League level. I mean, sure, he can play in some of the lower leagues. You know, he'll probably do fine in MLS, but I still think he's that good of a player. I Great when he pulls on the U.S. jersey. Hey, and that's the thing. There's some guys who are great when they pull on a national team jersey. So eh, that's just kind of my opinion on Altidore at this point. I've seen nothing from him, him in England that showed me he's a very good basketball um, <laughs> player. Excuse me. I'm watching UCLA USC at the moment. So it's fine. Um, I just I, I, he could probably be a good basketball player if he wanted. I mean, he's athletic, but you know, I've never I, seen his jumper. I I just I don't know. I wonder how do you go and I I know I know they're different leagues. I I understand that, but I, I how do you go scoring as many goals as he did at Alkmaar and having a good lead up to the World Cup and then basically not doing anything at Sunderland? Like that to me is just it it just doesn't make sense to me. Like he I think he is good. I just don't understand how he didn't show it in the Premier League. And I don't know if because because going from Alkmaar to Sunderland is like going from um it's like going from the big the big Sun conference or whatever it's called the Sun Belt to the SEC West. I mean, you know I mean dude, that's the thing. I mean there are some guys who are I mean, hey, you know, take this state. There were some guys who were amazing players at Appalachian State. Armani Edwards was an amazing quarterback at Appalachian State, correct? Yes. He's he's not running Mark Rick's offense at Georgia anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some guys are meant, some guys are meant for one double A. Some guys are meant for the SEC. <laughs> you know, some guys are meant to play in middling leagues. Some guys are not cut out to play in Spain, Germany, England. Yeah. So I, I just say that's all it is. I think he's a he's a he's a solid player. He's a good U.S. striker, which is a position where we're just not very. You know, the United States is not very deep at striker. Did you just refer to the United States as we? <clears throat> no, I did not. Okay. Total Freudian slip. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was just thinking about my flag flying outside my house. Gotcha. Not my not my choice of soccer team. Uh-huh. Um, but as as a nation, we as a nation, Ed. I mean, when was the last time the United States produced a great striker? Have they ever produced a great striker? Midfielders, sure. Defenders, absolutely. Keepers, buddy, in droves. Yeah, I guess we're counting Donovan as a midfielder, correct? Because I, I mean, Donovan's a winger. 
Okay, yeah. And, and once again, I mean, Donovan, uh, Donovan is kind of like Altador version one. Yeah, I guess we wouldn't consider Dempsey yeah, a, yeah. a great striker. Well, and Dempsey's not a striker. Dempsey's a winger. Yeah. He's more of a winger. Um, just an out-and-out striker. You know, a guy who's just around the goal and scores. Yeah, we never really produced one. Um, I'm sure somebody could uh, email us and tell me I'm an idiot and remind me of somebody. I can't remember if Brian McBride was an out-and-out striker. Um, you know, but McBride had a good uh, – he had a good English career, I believe, at Fulham. Mm-hmm. Um as of course I'm looking him up. He wasn't full. Of him. I got that part right. Let's see if I was right on the position though. I think uh, you were. He was a striker. Okay. Mm-hmm. was a striker and he scored 33 goals and 140 appearances for Fulham. Not a bad return. No, not bad. Um, and of course that was a little more defensive Premier League as well. Uh, but this is a country we've never produced great strikers. We always we seem to be working from the back forward. Mm-hmm. The United States, Yedlin. Not to say we won't ever produce great strikers, um, but we're moving. We're working from the back. We start. We've always produced keepers. Mm-hmm. You know, then we produce good hard nosed defenders. Now we're producing some good midfielders. Mm-hmm. Next step is to find the striker. Is uh, it is is the answer either uh, Julian Green or uh, Gideon Zillalem? And see, now you're really getting me in a catch-22 when you say that. Because, yes, Julian Green plays for the United States national team. Did Julian Green learn crap about soccer in the United States? Not really. Now, Zelalon, I don't know his entire backstory, but did he learn crap about soccer in the United States? I, I don't think so. So, you know, yes, then you could say we had two, we had a good U.S. striker, but then you even have to take that kind of with a grain of salt. It's not like we trained them. They just happened to choose us because they didn't want to try to break in the German team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was, you know, a world superpower and we're absolutely loaded. But anyway, you know, that, that's kind of the next great frontier, I guess, for the United States or to find uh, or to find strikers. You know, homegrown, you know, strikers who are good. Altador, not to say he can't still have a good career. He'll still probably be a good player for the United States. I mean, he'll probably be great in MLS. I can still see him coming back to Europe in some capacity. I just don't think he's cut out for England. And, I mean, England, let me say, it's kind of like the SEC, man. That's the proving ground. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, okay, you were great in Holland. Super. What'd you do in England? Oh, you stunk. But you were all, we always say you were good in Holland. <laughs> does that make, uh, does that make Germany the Pac-12? Uh, what's Germany. Germany's almost more like the Big Ten right now. One dominant team. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're they're kind of more like the Big Ten at the moment. And Michigan is Borussia Dortmund. Oh, there you go. Falling on hard times. And uh, maybe maybe they'll get back. But yeah, I'll I'll give them that. And um, Syria is obviously the ACC. Yeah, Spain is that. Spain then has to be the Pac-12 because yeah, that's pro- the only good conference pro- left. Yeah, uh, you know, but the SEC or the ACC and uh, you know Syria propped up by one really good team mm-hmm. uh, in Juventus, mm-hmm. and then a lot of teams who have good name recognition but just you know <laughs> don't perform when the lights are on. And then uh, the Greek one is uh, the American. Yeah, League One's the American where you know you have a you have a team in there who can who can scare the hell out of you and make some noise and win the time you know 
if it's a perfect year, they might break into the BCS. Uh, and that's, you know, that's PSG, obviously. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, Spain is uh, Spain is the Pac-12 where, you know, quarterback play is amazing. It's beautiful. Um, they're going to score points. Yes. You know, you've got some, you've got big time superstars. You've got guys who are like, Ooh, ah, but unlike the actual pac 12, um, La Liga has proven that they can win a big game. When yes. it really yeah. matters. That is true. Um, the other big wow. USMNT signing, that was a great tangent. I think we just went on. Oh, it was wonderful. Uh, is Mix Diskerud uh, coming to New York City FC, which means he will immediately go on loan to Manchester City. But um, sh- <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think he should too. Um, uh, MLS has confirmed that a deal has been struck to import Discord as NYCFC's third big name signing alongside Spanish striker David Villa, David Villa, excuse me, and England midfield stalwart Frank Lampard. Um, we're just in there, New York CFC, just like, damn it, just give us one of them who actually shows up. Yeah, we, we just need somebody at this point so we can placate <laughs> uh, season ticket holders. Uh, the 24 year old coming over to MLS. Uh, from, I, I'm trying to remember what league, uh, he was in Norway. He was in the Norwegian Tipologen, I believe is the name of their. Great league. Yeah, really, really good lead. Of course, uh, Bob Bradley coaching over there at Stabæk. Uh, Diskerud comes out of Rosenborg, one of the good teams there. Um, so what do you think about this move for Diskerud though, Wes? I mean, he's not coming over from England. He's coming over from Norway. Is the MLS a side move? Is it a step up? And, and, and what, what do you think about it from his angle? I mean, from his angle, he's coming home to a country where suddenly he has name value. Mm-hmm. He has name recognition. Obviously, he's going to New York City, so no one's going to know who the hell he is. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just New York City. They don't know half their Yankee players. So, you know, why would they know a soccer player for a team that's ever played a game? Um, I just, I, I would love to know what Coach Jurgen thinks about this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, because here you are, you're entering your prime mixed discarood. You're playing well overseas. And now it's just kind of like you, you've come home. Now that said, MLS, I believe, is probably a step up from the tipper mm-hmm. Um I want to know what his next move is. You know, is he just planning to stay for a year or two, try to get on in Germany, try to get on in England? What's your next move? Because right now... Right now, for American players, when you're overseas and you go to MLS, it is seen as kind of giving up on Europe. Mm-hmm. That's just what it's seen as. That's the perception of it is you're giving up on Europe. You couldn't hack it over there. Even though Discord was hacking it and doing well over there, you know what? The, the perception's not good. And once again, you have a manager who is saying, play overseas, play overseas. And all of his players seem to be coming home. Um, mm-hmm. Flynn was got to be about to shit a brick. <laughs> he did say, I, I didn't read, I haven't read the article yet, but I did see the headline on ESPN FC. He did say he supports um, Klinsman coming home. Uh, so I, I'm not really sure. And actually, the headline of the article is Jurgen Klinsman's support of Valtador's Discarude's moves to MLS. Um so he's, he's, I wonder how supportive he is or if he's just like, you know, this isn't my hill to die on. 
Oh, let's see. It says, uh, in Discroot's case, there's no Champions League team in Europe on a higher level that asked him to join them, so the options he had were probably not as attractive to him as the option he chose. Do do I, as the national team coach, want to see all of our players play in the European Champions League? Yeah, absolutely, but that's not reality. It's not happening, and therefore, whatever they decide, we'll support the best way we can. Um, A kinder, gentler Jurgen Klinsmann. Once again, I think he's realized that's not his hill to die on right now. I think he's also realized that, man, this is, you know, this is not me taking a shot at the United States men's national team when I say this. I think the more he has seen this team, he realizes that he has a mix of guys who, when they play together as a team, they are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Individually, are they really that good? I mean, two names leap out at me, guys like, you know, Graham Zuzi and Kyle Beckerman, who would probably never get onto a European side. But, I mean, Beckerman had a really, really, really good World Cup for for the United States. And, of course, Zuzi assisted on the corner where John Brooks scored against Ghana. So... I think you're exactly right, but I think I think that's kind of the way the United States has always been. It's this gritty, hard-nosed team that somehow finds a way to come together and play bigger than themselves, and that's yeah. that's America. But it's just they don't have the individual quality, no, and yet. that's obvious. You know, you don't have a Messi, you don't have a Ronaldo, you don't have a John Terry. Um, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping maybe, maybe DeAndre Edlin, you know? <laughs> And there you go. And, you know, that's the thing now. They're, here's the other thing. The United States is going to see their major improvement in this next generation coming up. Yes. Your Michael Bradleys, your Clint Dempseys, those guys have been to Europe. They have succeeded and failed, which is, hey, truly, that's an improvement over straight-up failing. <laughs> Which has happened, which seemed to happen with more the generation before. Mm-hmm. So you saw improvement this time, but you just didn't have guys who were who were that quality. You just didn't have the quality in some of them. Um, the next crop of U.S. players coming up have done very well at the U seventeen, U twenty one level. Um, you've got some real individual guys, and these are guys. Yeah, you know, this is this is the thing. Once again. You know, the soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, has been ingrained in these other countries, Brazil, Argentina, England, Germany, France, you know, Portugal. It has been ingrained for 100 years in that culture. Oh, yeah. It's been ingrained in ours for about 30. Yeah. And it's really started taking taking hold about the last 10. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think the U.S. fans get really – I think they get really um, – impatient sometimes because we're the United States. We just, you know, when we decide we want to be good at something, we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's starting, you know, it, it usually takes a couple of generations because kids have to learn it. You're about to get a group coming up that are under 20 years old right now, say the 15 to 20 year olds, mm-hmm. that group that's about to come up. These guys have seen you know, they've been exposed to top players in the world. They've been exposed to the top leagues in the world. You know, uh, I mean, they can flip on a TV on Saturday morning and watch any Premier League game they want to. Mm-hmm. They can watch Bundesliga. They can watch La Liga. They can watch Serie A. They can watch uh, Le Hood. <laughs> they can watch all these things. 
they have a league in their backyard now. Obviously, MLS. Um, the coaching at the younger levels is getting better by the week in the United States as you're getting better coaches, better trained coaches. You're getting guys who now have some international experience on a high level are getting into coaching, and they're taking the reins on it. That 15 to 20 group right now, that's the future of United States soccer at the moment. And I think the future is getting brighter and brighter as we continue here at the United States. I just think this uh, this generation with these big names, Donovan, Bradley, Dempsey, you're going to see over the next few years, those guys are going to be more phased out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, Donovan is done. Um, you know, next is going to be Dempsey. It's probably going to be Bradley in that group. And, you know, I just, I think within five years, even though Josie Altidore will be 27, 28 years old and supposedly in his prime, I think the United States is just going to have better players than him. I mean, you could, I mean, at the next World Cup, if, if the guys come good, you could set up a pair of strikers up front and Julian Green and Aaron Johansson. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at guys who, I mean, look, not, I cannot throw you names. I'm sorry. Sometimes I can't throw the names. Liverpool has a kid from the United States in their academy set up right now mm-hmm. who they are raving about. It's just, it is one of their top young prospects, an American kid from uh, Arizona. Let me, uh, you know, I, I'm actually pulling up their because uh, there's an academy team right now. So, Okay. Um, but, you know, there are more American kids who are now finding their way into – the uh, into the European sides, uh, academies, they're getting a taste of Europe earlier. You know, parents are making the decision, you know, we're going to go to, you know, we're going to move to London and go to Chelsea or Arsenal or, uh, you know, uh, move to Manchester, move to Liverpool. We're going to move to these places because, you know, if my son wants to be everything he can be, this is where we need to go. We're not going to do it playing for San Jose in the MLS. Uh, was your player you were thinking of Mark Pelosi? I believe that is his name, yes. He is actually, I also, to jump on that, he is also, I believe, was one of the men who got called up to the uh, the USMNT squad in January. Okay. So, so yeah. he, he has I, been noticed. I didn't know the kid's name. I knew he was from Arizona. I think he's 17, 18, 19, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Um, he's not one of their top, top um, guys, but he's he's definitely he's in the conversation. You know that he could play for Liverpool one day and coming through the academy. Um, you know that's massive mm-hmm. to get guys coming through because now if when he does, you know when he walks into the U.S. men's national team, I mean this is a guy who you know is learning under one of the best uh, teams you know historically in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know one of the better teams in England. Um, you know, he's, he's, you know, this is a guy who's trained with Steven Gerrard, <laughs> you know, and Daniel Sturridge and Raheem Sterling. And I think it's going to make a big difference because you're getting, you're getting the American kids into the academies now, instead of, instead of the U S uh, instead of like the English teams having to come to MLS and try to take a gamble on a 24 year old, they're starting to get them now when they're 16, 17, 18, you know, DeAndre Yedlin is, I believe, just turned 20? Either 20 or 22. Let me okay, but they still, they got him young. Yeah. You know, and, and this is what they're starting to do now. They're finding these athletic, skilled American kids now, and they can get them there. The earlier they can get them there, the better they can train them to be what they need them to be to potentially be world-class. Yep. DeAndre will be 22 this July. 
Also, really interesting about Pelosi, he's another German-born American. Yeah, um, and of course, I mean that's been a that's been a big thing. Just uh, you know, if they spend time in Germany coming up, um, you know they 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 get they become a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. They become part of the German culture. Now these are kids who still you know they live in the United States for a while, some of them, um, but they have that they have that German upbringing, and if they're bringing that into the United States team. That is a reason, you know, I like the whole green deal. Um, You know, those guys are coming up through Europe. They're rubbing off on the younger American players. Mm -hmm. And that attitude is eventually going to find its way into, you know, American youth soccer culture. You know, one one thing I don't think we've talked about a whole lot uh, about the younger generation coming up, and that's really made a difference. You you touched on it some where, where the kids can just flip on Saturday mornings and watch Premier League games now. Uh-huh. I think the other thing is that now a lot of them can also see, oh, wait, if I go and I get really good at soccer and I go play in Europe, I mean, there's guys getting transferred for, you know, 30, 40 million pounds. You know, I can make ginormous amounts of money and i think before you know before you really knew about these other leagues you'd see guys in mls and you're making 30 35 a year and now (laughs) it's now you're just making millions if you're if you're just even decent in the premier league or in la liga and and i think that that's that's going to help that next generation make soccer a, a more attractive option not just when you're growing up and playing for you know your youth teams but now hey Maybe I want to keep pursuing this because there is a future, whereas before I would have had to keep going with either like football or basketball. Well, you know, and also right now, the guys who are getting the big contracts in MLS are doing it on the backs of, uh, you know, playing, you know, as top guys in Europe. Yeah. You know, obviously Stevie G, Roy Keane, you know, uh, here comes Graham Zuzzi coming back. Roy Keane? I, I, I said Robbie Keane. Oh, right. I thought you said Roy Keane. I was like, what? I said A Keane. Um, but, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, Zuzi coming back. And, um, you know, he's getting, he, he's one of the three designated players now. Discarude, you mean? Discarude. God, I'm sorry. Uh, it's they, fine. Not a problem. There's a these, lot of weird names. Yeah, all these weird named Americans. God, why can't <laughs> we just get some good German names or something here? Um, but so Discarude coming back, he's getting that designated player spot. Mm hmm. Because he went to Europe, stepped his game up, and then made a name for himself on the U.S. men's team. So I just believe the more they can be exposed, and that's not to say that one day, one day they might sit there and say, oh, God, I have to go to Europe. That's such a step down from MLS. <laughs> that could potentially happen one day, but right now that's just not the culture. If you want to be a top player, you need to get yourself to Europe some way, somehow. Absolutely. Um, is there, is there any more transfer news you want to talk about? Is there anything you've been hearing? We talked a lot of transfers last week. Has there been any news you kind of wanted to bring up? Uh, Liverpool still looking for a goalkeeper. Apparently, um, (laughs) Eto from, uh, Fiorentina is popping up. Um, God, I mean, for Liverpool every day, it's a new goalkeeper. Um, Lacazetti is a name that I, I know you remember me saying back during the summer that Liverpool were in on, uh-huh. a guy that I would like to see Liverpool bring in. Uh, he has had a fantastic start to the season in France, leads Ligue 1 in, uh, in scoring. Um, Liverpool want him. 
But the problem is about every day his price keeps going up. <laughs> and now suddenly, you know, uh, Leon has said that they're not going to sell him. If they sell him, they're not going to do it until the summer. If they wait until the summer, I think he may be out of Liverpool's price range. Uh, so we'll see how that works. Um, there is a rumor Liverpool is preparing a £30 million bid for Gonzalo Higuain. Yes. Sorry. Uh, Napoli. I, I, just, I just don't know if I'm Higuain while I'm leaving Napoli uh, when I've got a when I've got a chance in the Champions League to get back to the Champions League, um, or at least contend near top of the table right now in Italy. I don't know why uh, Napoli would want to sell him at this point, but apparently he does kind of want to get out of town. That might be another one that has to wait for the summer. Um, but for Liverpool, I would still, I, I'm still believing we're going to see a few moves. Uh, Barahino still may be an option out there. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he's uh, he's holding off on signing a new West Bromwich Albion uh, contract, trying to force through a move to either Liverpool or Tottenham. And not to not to take anything away from you, Ed, the more and more I hear about it, he's pushing more and more toward Liverpool. It sounds like, mm-hmm. which of course means that uh, he'll end up at City. Of course. So. Uh, just drive that price there, up. There are rumors just massive out there every day. Um, God, I hope we can get rid of Bala. So <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just trade. Come on. He won't even for Balotelli. What do you say? And we'll throw in $10 million for it. That'll work, right? Come on. Come on, Napoli. Of course it will. Uh, but that's about it on my end. Uh, one last one that has been confirmed. Uh, Yaya Sonogo is leaving Arsenal to go to Crystal Palace. Uh, on an unknown fee loan. So Sonogo will be taking his talents to try and help out Alan Pardew's side. All right, that is our football talk for the week. Let us head to football. Wes, we got to talk about it. Ohio State 42, Oregon 20. Ohio State wins the first uh, college football playoff championship thing game. Um, they beat Oregon. It was close into the third quarter uh, as Oregon got it to 21-20. But Ohio State then scored the next, let's call it 21 points, including a touchdown run at the end for no particular reason other than Urban Meyer's obviously a great guy. Um, Like I said at the beginning of the show, you watched it. I I caught up on Broadchurch. Uh, what, What were your thoughts from the game? Um, giving up to Ohio State, man. They're just they were they were bigger and tougher and more physical than Oregon. Um, Oregon, who I thought maybe had gotten that toughness gene, yeah, we thought wrong. They uh, <laughs> they were soft as butter, man. Once uh, Ohio State started pushing them around, it wasn't even a ball game anymore. Ohio State was a lot faster, I think, than what we thought they were all year. But to be to be fair. We all thought they were slow just because, you know, they were playing Big Ten competition and they just didn't look that fast. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because the Big Ten just doesn't look fast. I don't know. But end of the day, they were a better team. They won the game. Uh, I tweeted out, you know, I don't care what you say, still don't believe that they belong in the playoff. Yeah, I, I saw you tweet about that, yep. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that that's a little controversial, but, you know, I mean, NCAA tournament, the team that deserves to win the tournament doesn't always win it. Mm-hmm. You know, the best team in the country doesn't always win the NCAA tournament. Uh, Ohio State got really hot at the end of the year. Yeah. And they, they got it done. They got a roll and they won. I still think a 14-point loss at home to Virginia Tech 
should have kept them out. But you know what? They took advantage of their uh, opportunity. They did what they had to do. They got it done. Congratulations, Irvin Bauer. Yeah, I hope your heart explodes with happiness. There you go. Um, I, I did read an article for some reason on ESPN.com. It was like they're way too early uh, top 25 for next year. I believe it was written by Mark, Sh- Mark Schlaubach. Uh, Schlaubach. Schlaubach. That's it. Uh, I, I can't pronounce anybody's last name. It's It doesn't matter if it's in the Premier League or this thing. Why have me? It's true. It's the only reason I keep you. Uh, I saw that he actually had TCU as number one. Uh, what? How did? What did you think about that? They're loaded. They are. They're really good. They're really good. They should have been in this year's. So. Oh, can't say that. Yeah. Um, but uh, obviously it is way too early. Um, you know what I'm really interested to see, and I just I won't believe it till after I see it actually happen, is uh, what's going to happen with this quarterback deal at Ohio State. Yeah. Because now you've got a guy, I mean, yes, it's all, it's an awesome story. We ended up on our third string quarterback. Da, 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 da. Well, <laughs> all three of them are eligible to come back next year. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of a – a lot of people are pretty convinced that Braxton Miller is going to be doing the uh, one-year transfer, um, you know, because he he will have graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he wants to transfer somewhere to be a graduate student for a year, he can do that. A lot of a lot of good programs out there who need maybe a quarterback in a uh, a transition year at quarterback. You know, you don't want to start the true freshman you're bringing in. Well, let's get him a year experience, and hey, we'll play this kid who was, you know, all Big Ten. Um, you know, some SEC schools, some ACC schools looking at him for that. Maybe a couple Big Twelve schools. Uh, JT Barrett, who obviously was the starter uh, all year for Ohio State until he was injured late in the season. I've just got to believe he's your incumbent starter. But I mean, now if I'm Cardell Jones. I just played three games, and I won you something huge in every one. I won you the Big Ten title. Uh, I got you uh, into the championship, and uh, then I won you the championship. That's a pretty good resume. Um, you know, and he is ahead of JT Barrett on the uh, on the class list. I believe he will be a junior next year. Mm-hmm. I believe he was a redshirt sophomore. Yes. Um. And then you got JT Barrett, who was a redshirt freshman. So it's not like, well, I can just sit away a year and wait my turn. No. <laughs> it will be more the other way around. So, you know, I've just, I've kind of had this feeling, you know, Cardell Jones early in the year, um, as the third string quarterback, had a little bit of controversy surrounding him when, um, when he made a, when he made a, a an ill advised tweet. Um, about, you know, I don't understand why we have to go to class. I'm here to play football, not go to school. We ain't here to play school. We're here to play football. Which, of course, I thought was so Ohio State. It It, it is. Um, You know, if you're that kid, you've got the body, you've got the arm. Do you think maybe that you've obviously shown that you don't really care to go to class? Yeah. I've heard it. Maybe that kid... Maybe that kid takes a shot and uh, goes to the draft. I've I've heard. I just read a Todd McShay article about it. I, I there there is a little bit of rumblings. 
little bit of rumbling. I mean, the thing is, I don't think he's a first rounder or even a second or third rounder just because, you know, I mean, he's got three games on his resume. Yeah. You know, I remember they killed Mark Sanchez when he came out after he started, God, was it one or two seasons? He was the starting quarterback at USC, and they were like, well, he doesn't have enough games. He, we haven't seen enough. He hasn't played enough college games. This guy's played three games. Albite, all three of them have been against big-time competition on major stages, and he stepped up in every one. Well, do you think it helped that those were that there wasn't really much tape on him going forward? I mean, granted, you did have a really good coach at Nick Saban, but, I mean, Wisconsin came in, and I, I believe that uh, Miller had just gotten hurt basically the week before, so they had a week to prepare for a totally different type of quarterback. Which he was, no- because they said all three of those guys, while athletic and could throw the football, they were so completely different. You know, uh, Braxton Miller was more a straight-up, um, you know, he was more a straight-up athlete. Mm-hmm. He could do so many things just moving around. JT Barrett was, you know, athletic, but he was more of a sit-in-the-pocket-and-eat-you-up passer mm-hmm. who could get out and run when he wanted to or had to, you know, almost more like a, a Russell Wilson a little bit. Right. And then you had Cardell Jones, who's just like, he's 6'4", 6'3", 6'4", 250. And to me, he was more of a Tebow with a better arm. Yeah. You know, as in he can run you over. Obviously, God, no one has the leadership. I, w- I would have actually comped him then to uh, Newt, Cam Newton. Uh, and see, I didn't want to go straight Newton. I didn't think he was quite as athletic as Newton. Okay. Not as po- okay. Nowhere near as polished as Cam was. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you can get that a little bit. I'm just thinking more body type. He almost looked a little more Tebow body type to me mm-hmm. than Cam. Okay. Cam, Cam just has, even though Cam is a big guy, Cam is like a sleek-looking athlete. Yes. You know, I mean, Cam's a big hoss, but he's, he's just sleek. You know, he's, you know, chiseled. You know, slender, but still with good muscle and good size on him. Cardinal just looks like a fucking pickup truck. Yeah. You know, you know, kind of like Tebow, and he'd stick his head down, run through you. But, but I think I think already just from what I've seen, he he throws the ball a lot better than Tebow ever did. Yeah, yeah um, obviously. So, so you know, I don't want to say he's he's Tebow. Um, but I mean, I just I just wonder what you do because. I mean, there's, there's obviously to me, there's no way in hell all three of those guys come back next year. Um, oh, I can't. Man. That couldn't happen. No, no. I mean, these guys. I mean, they all have pro ambitions. Every one of them has pro ambitions. They're not want to going to want to come and sit any of them. Uh, I think Barrett. I just think Barrett's going to end up being the one who comes out of this as the starter next year, because I just think he has so much. I think he really has a ton of potential. Um, you saw him grow during the year. Like I said, he is he is like a Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. and obviously that's been proven that that works really freaking well. Yes, um, just by a little bit. So I think Braxton Miller's transferring. Cardell Jones is going to be the interesting one because if he does transfer, he's got to sit a year. Um, I don't think I don't think Jones will transfer. I either think he will stay there or he'll go to the draft. I don't think he'd actually transfer. You know what I could almost see happening with him? What's that? And it would be, God, it would be such massive national news, is if he went into the spring and was like, you know, I'm going to compete for that job, and if he didn't win the job, I could see him maybe uh, declaring for the supplemental draft. Yeah. Which yeah. comes during the summer. Um, 
God, that would be so, oh, that would be so like it's all about me, but still. I could almost see that happening if he lost out on that job going to the supplemental draft. Can we make sure our NCAA writers get on that narrative? Well, of course, the last uh, the last big name to go in the supplemental draft was da, 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 Terrell Pryor. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another yeah. former Ohio State quarterback. So, um, we'll just see what happens, man. That That is going to be – if Cardale comes back – that could be the most interesting subplot going into spring football this year of anybody. Oh yeah, it's it's we will keep following all those storylines through the summer, which will be very very lean months for this podcast. But we will have the World Cup, so we do have that. Um, and the transfer course, window, never forget the transfer window. I love a good summer transfer window, Wes. It's become my favorite part of the Premier League. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, let's jump to the NFL, uh, where there were a couple great games, including uh, New England 35, Baltimore 31, sorry Wes, uh, Dallas 21, Green Bay 26. Uh, the Colts get a bit of an upset win, 24-13 over Denver, and of course then Denver turned right around and fired their head coach, John Fox, which is, I thought was funny because... So they mutually agreed, come on. I'm sorry. I, I find it funny because I was uh, as I was coming back from Virginia over the weekend, I decided, hey, I'll just listen to our podcast because it's a three-hour drive, so that'll get me through at least you know, two hours and change. Um, and I remembered you saying you we were talking about uh, Premier League managers and how they and all, all soccer managers and the knee-jerk reactions. And you said, you know, John Fox, if, if Peyton Manning goes and wants John Fox fired, that's not going to happen. Well, <laughs> I, say that? Yes. I don't think I meant that. I think I meant the other way around. Oh man, um, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, Denver. Denver needs to, and this would be so unpopular. So they would never do it. Denver needs to say, Peyton, thanks, but it didn't work out. They need to cut Peyton Manning. They just need to start for the future now. Well, they're probably going to lose one of their Thomases. Either Julian or Demarius. Exactly. And look, you could keep both of those guys if you got rid of Peyton Manning. Yeah, and Wes Welker might retire, so you you might have to go into almost full scale rebuilding mode. If that would be a, that would not be a loss right now. Welker had a terrible year, I know, because I owned him in a fantasy league. <laughs> um, he stunk this year. He's lost it. But I mean, if you sat there, you know, Brock Osweiler's their backup, and they've got big hopes for him. He's a big quarterback. He's like six seven. He's a hoss. Ten of an arm, Arizona State kid. You know, if you feel if you feel comfortable with Brock Osweiler, you you know, oh god, I mean, how controversial would it be to cut Peyton Manning? Um, I don't know if you could get Peyton to retire. You yeah. know, just just let like uh, just let Von Miller, who's blind without his glasses, just like walk by Peyton and act like he's going to pop him on the butt and accidentally like karate chop him in the neck. <laughs> you know, just let him do that and Peyton, you know, oh, I got to retire. Da, 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 da. You can keep you keep both Thomases. Yeah. You know, and then, dude, how much cap room does that free up? Probably a lot. Up like twenty million in cap space if Manning goes. And you just you go for it. Then you go. You take that money. You go get you a couple of marquee defensive guys. You made that defense even nastier than it already is. <coughs> I go to war with that group. K fame indeed. Um, of <laughs> we course, just, we need a shield run in with a chair shot. 
one of the other big storylines for this weekend on Sunday was uh, the Cowboys getting a little bit of karmic justice, I believe. Um, Cowboys got broke back mountain. I'm not touching that with a 30-foot pole. Um, Pack, of course, there was... How long is that pole, mister? I can't do this podcast with you. Um, we um, a big a big play in that game near the end of the fourth quarter was Des Bryant going for a catch that would have set Dallas up at about the one yard line of Green Bay, uh, which was then ruled not a catch, uh, which is true according to the weird way NFL defines what a catch is. Uh, just like there's a weird thing that face guarding isn't a penalty or holding and whatever. So. <laughs> Wes, my question to you is, do, do the Cowboys and their fans have any room to complain? Uh, after what happened the week before, you kind of say no. But, I mean, my personal thought, you know, my, my whole thing is of it is defined to me exactly then on that play what he did not do. That was not a football move. Because to me, it looked like as he's going to ground – he is reaching that football out, trying to break the plane and trying to score a touchdown. Is that not a football move? Jeez. Trying to stretch and reach? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, and I'm not, I'm the farthest thing from a Cowboy fan you'll find. I thought it should have been a catch. Yeah. <sighs> I really, I, didn't, I really didn't care. I didn't watch the game. I'm that big of a fan. I didn't watch the game. Uh, but obviously, I've seen a billion replays, and I I really thought it was a catch. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I don't know. I just I think the NFL got so picky about four or five years ago with how they define a catch and with replay and all that stuff. I, I don't know. Even more than five years ago, shoot, it's been about 10 years. I remember Tampa getting screwed out of a Super Bowl and God, I believe it was 2000 on that when uh, they were playing the Rams and they said Bert Emanuel didn't catch a ball that he clearly caught. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Uh, 99, I, I think. God, that was that long ago. Wow. Wasn't that wasn't that like the 12-10 game? Yeah, yeah, because that was the year, you know, St. Louis won the won the title and St. Louis mm. was like this offensive juggernaut. And Tampa held him like yeah, Tampa held him like under fifteen points. Yeah. It was like fifteen eleven. It was something weird. Like it was a weird score. And Tampa held him like twenty points below their season average. And Sean King was the quarterback. And yes. Manuel had a catch. And you know, next thing you know, I'm I'm celebrating because I was a Tampa guy. You know, I liked uh, loved Warren Sapp. You know, loved 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 that Tampa defense. And. um they say, you know, it's like, what the hell do you mean that's not a catch? I, if, if that's not a catch, I don't know what a catch ever is again. Oh. And I just, I'm just saying they got way too technical with what they call catches. Because, I mean, even then, when he went to ground, I never saw the ball touch the ground. Yeah, I guess. You know, that, was, that was my other thing with that, Edward, was, you know, okay, you can say the ball came out, the ball popped out. But then he caught it. Yeah. The ball never actually hit the ground, and he was in bounds the entire time. So you could say he caught the ball and was down there, but I just I think Dallas fans have a I think they have an argument. I think they do. Um, but that said, they shouldn't have even been there after the play the week before. 
True. Very true. So, and, of course, you're assuming that after pass interference, Detroit goes down and scores, which, of course, you can never assume that in the NFL. Oh, but, uh, Dallas, Dallas was the beneficiary of a huge break the week before and the week after they got completely kind of screwed by the same kind of call. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, some people call it karma. I call it, eh, I don't really care. <laughs> At the end of the day, I didn't lose any sleep over it. So, well, me neither. And as uh, we noted, it's all about me. It is. It is. Tr- it's true. It is all about you. Um, we're going to move on now to the NCAA men's basketball uh, going on right now. Of course, the big story the last couple days is Duke sort of semi-collapsing here right in front of our eyes as they drop back-to-back games first on the weekend at NC State and then at home just yesterday to Miami where West a 41-game win streak goes barreling out the door for Duke in stunning fashion where Miami looked like they just kind of manhandled them. And, I mean, it almost looked like, you know, a Category 5 blew through. Oh, God. And blew down Cameron Indoor at halftime. I believe that was like a one- or two-point game at halftime. I even been tied. Yeah, I think Duke was up one at the half, and, and, and it was all Duke, Miami. Canes showing what a fantastic basketball school the University of Miami truly is. Just absolutely came alive and uh, just, I mean, really, I mean, in all hurricane terminology, they blew the doors off of Duke. I mean, that was, that was legitimately a 20 point game. Duke scored the last four points when Miami wasn't really even defending anymore. So, oh yeah. um, Miami showed what Miami showed was that the ACC this year is it's the SEC West of football. Yeah, it's brutal. Anyone in the uh, anyone can be one. I mean, I believe God. I want to say Wake Forest went and won at Syracuse last night. Uh, I can check on that. If they didn't. I know they were up in the second half because I had it flipped there for like two minutes before I realized what I was watching. Well, and Wake Forest almost beat Duke too yeah. on the week when last we were doing this podcast. I mean, State beats Duke, loses tonight by two at Car- against Carolina. Um, Syracuse you know. won by three in overtime. <laughs> Okay, so I mean, so there's Wake. I mean, and what's Wake supposed to be? Nothing. Uh, Pittsburgh and Florida State were having a war tonight. I don't know how that ended up. Don't care. Um, State can play with anybody. State State just has to figure out how to win games. But NC State can play with anybody. North Carolina, they are like the completely cray cray cousin of yours who you can't ever figure out what they're going to do. But man, when they're on, I mean, they've beaten Louisville. Yep. <laughs> you know, the, they beat NC State in Raleigh tonight. You know, they they can go win games. Duke Carolina should be coming up soon, I believe. Uh, within the next couple weeks, I believe. Yeah, so that'll be fun to watch. Um, but, you know, the Heels are playing well. Um, and obviously, you know, we totally bypassed the best team in the conference, which is the Virginia uh, Cavaliers <laughs> at this point. So just because they're not sexy. <laughs> no, they just play defense. That's all they do. Exactly. They play defense and control the basketball. If there was not a shot clock, I think literally I believe Virginia fans would kill themselves. <laughs> no. But, hey, they'd be winning, so fuck it. Who cares? Basically. Um, this also gives us our first chance to look at the Bracket Matrix, uh, one of my favorite sites on the internet. Uh, BracketMatrix.com, this guy who just compiles a whole bunch of of uh, bracket projections throughout the year. Uh, right now he has 53 brackets he's compiling. Um, and this is updated through 
uh, up to last night, I should say. So it does not take into account Duke's loss um, to Miami. However, this is how it's currently shaping up as the aggregate. Uh, Kentucky, Virginia, Duke, and Villanova would be your one seeds. Gonzaga, Wisconsin, Kansas, Arizona are your twos. Utah would be a three right now. Uh, their actual average seed right now is 2.68 through, through the 53 brackets. Uh, they're joined by Louisville, Maryland, and Virginia Commonwealth. And in the four slot, Iowa State, North Carolina, Wichita State, and West Virginia. And, of course, those top four are the most important ones because if you can get a top four, there's a really good chance you're going to be playing your first couple games clo- uh, close to home. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm, I'm truly – I'm a college basketball fan in mid to late February, March. Yes. It's kind of me. Sorry. <laughs> yes, I live, yes, I live in eastern North Carolina, and I don't really care that much about basketball. <laughs> But um, the ACC does have me – it's pulling me in some this year just because, once again, like I said, they are so super competitive, and you don't know what's going to happen with anybody. Um, Almost Hunger uh, Games-esque. And then you get to March Madness, and literally everything is up for grabs in March Madness. You, no more – there are no more dominant – dominance is over in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can freaking you can pull an old school Howard Stern and start throwing baloney at strippers' butts, and whoever sure. sticks is whoever's going to win. Why not? We need to do that on this show. We really don't. Um, who out of the top four? Those top four seedings, I and I can go over them again if you want. Uh, who do you think would be really primed to make a jump up to number a number one seed? Uh, again, that two line was Gonzaga, Wisconsin, Kansas, and Arizona. The three was Utah, Louisville, Maryland, and VCU. And the four line was Iowa State, UNC, Wichita State, and West Virginia. Um, I'm, I will put my money on Zona. Okay, uh, I believe Zona Zona's going to win the. I believe they're going to win the Pac-12. Um, either Duke or Virginia is going to fall off that line, and I believe it's going to be Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, because I. I <laughs> Not not saying that Duke's going to fall off the map, but I see a few more losses in Duke this year. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. Uh, where I don't really see Virginia. I mean, obviously, I think Virginia's going to end up losing a couple games in the ACC. It just happens every year. Um, but I think Virginia is going to be a little more steady than Duke. It's just because Virginia relies on defense. And defense, you know what? If you're not having a great shooting night, you can still play the hell out of some defense. Oh yeah, and that's that's yeah. what they that's what a, a Paul Bennett team does. Exactly. Go so ahead. I think Virginia's going to be fine up there. Um, I can see Zona popping up, um, and uh, that's about that's about the one. I just I think I think Kentucky is so much better than everyone in the SEC. Um, I think Virginia and the ACC. I think you're going to get a lot of precedence if you finish high in the ACC this year. Um, I mean, obviously by Carolina in there. Carolina's the number four seed. That that means they're finishing fourth, basically, in the ACC. Yeah. Right now, yeah, they they would be the fourth team behind Virginia, Duke, and Louisville. And then you just you look down right below them on the five seed line is is Notre Dame, who beat Carolina at home the other day. Yeah. And I mean, and and you've got. Yes, homerish. You've got a Miami team that suddenly is playing with a shitload of confidence, mm-hmm. and it's not like they've had a horrible season by any means. 
you know, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Miami find their way into a top eight seed somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, uh, Miami on the bracket matrix is their average position is a 10 seed, but uh-huh. they're currently only on eight of the 53 brackets. Uh, that, that that will change, four, I think. Yeah, that was before last night's win, obviously. Yes. Um, you know, if they had if they had not on Virginia and Charlottesville a yeah. couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. which they were oh so freaking close very, to doing. Very close. Um, Miami's probably sitting in like a six or a seven seed. <laughs> so that that's the thing. One thing for Miami, there are and all the ACC teams, there are marquee wins to be had out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There are, wins, there are wins to help you get into the tournament. Let's put it that way. There are wins. There are ways to get your way into the tournament if you're a mid a mid table ACC team. Whereas, you know, mid-table Big 12 or Pac-12 teams might not have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a North Carolina state, um, I mean, if you can finish 500 in the conference and you can, you know, you've already knocked off Duke, there's a marquee win. If you can find a way to beat a Virginia, a Louisville, a North Carolina, a Notre Dame, um, you're probably going to get into the tournament off of that if you can finish 500 in the conference. It's it's going to be exciting. This this is going to be a really interesting ACC to watch this year. And I think because of that, uh, I believe the ACC by the end of the year could end up getting two number one seeds. Like I know they're projected right now, but I think even uh, through attrition, I still think they can get two. I just I just think Duke's going to lose. I still think I think Duke's going to end up with five or six losses, and um, I think that's going to that's going to knock you out of a one seed, especially if you got you know your Vill- Villanova. Villanova should not have a lot of problems um, now that they're out of their non-conference. Kentucky should be fine in the SEC. You know, that that's just my feeling with those two. Um, you know, so. But we'll see what happens, man. It, it's entirely possible. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be so much fun. All right, let's move over into the zeitgeist uh, with our dumb NFL story of the week making its triumphant return. Uh it, uh, it's a semi-sweet. Oh man, that just freaked me out. I don't know if you heard it. Uh, a video just started playing on this CBS Sports article, and I thought somebody was invading my house. If you had a gun, you'd be feeling better. Oh, uh, uh, not really. No, I, I might have <laughs> accidentally just started shooting it. So uh, anyway, oh, that was creepy. Oh, getting your gun off, man. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, is that that? That's what that's referenced to. I, I had something incredibly different in mind. Um, this is a heartwarming story that kind of ends on a rather meh note. Uh, this comes to us from CBSSports.com. Uh, Cade Pope, a 12-year-old NFL fan, sent a letter to each owner of every NFL team about two weeks ago asking for help deciding which team he should become a fan of. Okay. Uh, he received only one response to date, and that's from Panthers owner Jay Richardson. He sent Cade a handwritten letter in response and according to KSL, KSLA 12 in Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, I believe, uh, it says, Cade, we would be honored if our Carolina Panthers became your team, the letter stated. We would make you proud by the classy way we represent you. Uh, the letter also came with a package containing a replica Panthers helmet signed by Steyer linebacker Luke Keekley. Here's Cade Pope's response. If this is the only team that responds to me, I'm a Carolina Panthers fan. So he 
He's basically becoming a Panthers fan by default. Wes, have you ever heard of anything more sad and depressing than this? Well, here's the thing. This is seen as a, quote, heartwarming story. Oh, check this out. This is great. No, no, no. Look what this NFL team did. Do you know what Wes sees? Wes sees a 12-year-old kid who's like, you know, I'm just a little pussy. (laughs) I can't choose my own team on my own. You know, I'm just going to send letters to all these teams and see if I can get something back from them. Yes. And he gets a freaking signed Luke Keekley helmet. Yep. Shit, I'd love to have a signed Luke Keekley helmet. I get some mad cash on eBay for that bad boy. <laughs> of course. Or I could go, I mean, shit, you can go anywhere. Man, you can go anywhere in Eastern North Carolina and sell a sweet Luke Keekley helmet. Yes, you could. Hell, I'd come out with a good 150 in my pocket tomorrow probably for that bad boy. Um, and this kid just gets this into him. And then there's Jerry Richardson, who's one of the cheapest human beings on earth. <laughs> And he's sitting there just shilling for fans. I'm shocked he didn't uh, put in a contract where since the kid got all that shit, he had to become a a PSA or whatever is a a PSL licensing holder. Uh, I'm so glad we're doing this story on the podcast because if we did this on our actual sports show, we would no longer have a show. (laughs) Oh, I know because whatever. We 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 can't bash Jerry Richardson on the show. Well, I'll bash him here. I mean, no, go ahead. I don't care here. It's what it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a huge Jerry Richardson fan. I'm not a Panthers fan at all. Yes, yes folks, that. I am a hater for wherever I live near. Just, just, just deal with that point. But you don't hate East Carolina. I love East Carolina. They're my team. I grew up as an East Carolina fan. I mean, it's just what it was. That's why I hate everyone else because I grew up an ACU fan and I'm bitter. <laughs> um, but you know. To me, this kid, I mean, I don't want to say much about the kid because, I mean, I don't know him. I mean, I saw the picture of the letter. It's not like he has very neat handwriting either for age 12. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of wondering if this kid might be all there. He might not be, so I don't want to say anything too bad about him. Um, But, I mean, to me, it's just it's a weird thing. I mean, my God, I was a 12-year-old kid. I liked the NFL back then, and I had no problem choosing what team I liked. I had to send a letter saying, please give me reasons why I should like your team. It does you seem know? a little odd. I mean, dude, I have one of my best friends loved uh, the Colorado Buffaloes when we were growing up. Why? Because he liked their sweet uniforms. That's a good reason. I mean, that 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 is the reason a 10 to 12-year-old needs to like a football team. Yeah. Or you're from Louisiana. Man, would there be a team in Louisiana that maybe you could like? <laughs> hmm. Maybe he's like you and he hates his home team. He's too young to hate his home team. Dude, if the Panthers had come when I was a little kid, I'd probably be a Panthers fan. It's just luckily I already had a team and I was jaded by the time the Panthers got here. But, I mean, it's just like, come on, man. Don't don't, don't sit there. I, I, I truly think either the kid's not all there or he just had this brilliant idea to try to get shit out of people. And, of course, Jerry Richardson – bit on it so <laughs> right. Con- congratulations panthers you now know that you have a fan just because you had to send him swag to get him to like your team this this was a total work by like some research group at stanford to, to see what owners were the most desperate and and to top it off it's like you know the kids still didn't say all right they sent me this i'm a panthers fan yeah. he's like all right I'm holding out. Nobody else yeah. is I'm a Panthers fan. Yeah, let's give it another couple weeks. Let, let's. Uh... It's like, so what if, like, you know, what if, like, uh, somebody from the Buffalo Bills sends him, like, a signed Rex Ryan hat? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm a Bills fan. 
gospel. I guess so. Congratulations, dude. Oh, Enjoy God. life. Yeah, it's good job, NFL. You guys needed something positive, I guess. Um, all right, let's move on to our <laughs> let's move on to our other football story. Um, we didn't talk about this a whole lot, but uh, before the national championship game, two Oregon players were suspended for it, uh, including Darren Carrington, one of Oregon's leading wide receivers, uh, and Al Ford, a key special teams contributor because they failed an NCAA-administered drug test at last weekend's Rose Bowl because they smoked pot. Now, I... Wait, 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 And... Yeah? Kids from Eugene, Oregon smoked pot? I know, it's kind of outlandish. What kind of world do we live in? Wow, I don't know. Um, here's the weird thing. I believe Oregon is actually a state where it is legal to buy and smoke marijuana, correct? Yes, yes it is. It is. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm actually reading the article right now. It okay. is. Yeah. I wasn't sure, but it is, it is now. Um, so they're getting busted for something that is now legal in their home state. I understand it's an NCAA rule and you can't do it, and it's stupid that they did it before one of the biggest games of their lives. Yeah. But, 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 and it also says here, Oregon requires three positive tests before suspension is triggered. Good for them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it Doesn't it seem just a little hypocritical that we have a league that's sponsored by and selling alcohol and, and, uh, to their, with their student athletes, quote unquote, and then bust people for smoking pot, which is legal in their state? <clears throat> yeah. I'm not condoning them. They should be smarter than that, I guess. Yeah, but well, but isn't it just deals, you know? Don't don't get pot for smoking weed before the biggest fucking game of your life. Don't be that stupid. Yes, I mean you go to Oregon, you can't be that smart. <laughs> just lost all our fans in Oregon. Sorry, guys. except for our Oregon State fans, but whatever. Um, uh, the NCAA. I mean, you know my sterling, the sterling mm -hmm. reputation they hold in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, they, I mean, they're they're hypocritical as crap on everything, but at the same time, you know, alcohol is not seen like marijuana, mm -hmm. um, even though it has been proven that marijuana is actually probably safer than alcohol. Yes, but whatever. We're not going there. I'm not getting into that argument on this podcast tonight. Oh, but we, there there wouldn't be an argument. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not planting that flag and going at it tonight. That's fine. Okay. Not to argue with you, just to argue with society. I understand. Um, but I mean, there are drug rules in place. There have always been drug rules in place at the NCAA, and you know, just because. I mean, hey, look at this. If you go to school in Montana. They don't have a speed limit. Come through eastern North Carolina and go to 90 miles an hour, you're going to get stopped. Well, I'm not from here. Sorry, you're, you're here. You're under our rules. Um, once you are a, a an active participant in the NCAA, then you are under the NCAA guidelines. So, therefore, I wholeheartedly agree with the marijuana suspension because, you know what, if I uh, – if Billy, who lived in the dorm down the hall um, and wears hip pants and listens to fish and the Grateful Dead all day, if he smoked a little pot, 
Well, okay, it's legal. Sweet. But Billy's also not getting a piss test from the NCAA. True. It's true. Uh, and also, I'm sure if Billy went to get a job at a Fortune 500 company, <laughs> say Nike, in Oregon, yeah. and they said, you've got to take a piss test, and you came up positive for marijuana, well, it's legal in the state. Yeah, but we still don't have to hire you. Uh, one interesting point that this article I'm, I'm pulling the story from brings up, uh, the NCAA's threshold for a positive is 5 nanograms of THC per millimeter of blood. Okay, that's three times stricter than the NFL's old drug policy. That's seven times stricter, stricter than the NFL's current policy. That is, if I do the math, a little more than three times stricter than Major League Baseball's current policy, and it's ten times stricter than the World Anti-Doping Agency's policy. <laughs> it's NCAA, man. Now, now, I wouldn't possibly either think that the NCAA would do this, you know, to try to help Ohio State win the national title. Oh, no. I would no. never think the NCAA would have an agenda. No. Why would you think but, that? But I guess, you know, the only thing I could guess on that is that, you know, the NCAA, and I'm doing all this in air quotes, mm-hmm. see themselves as a higher, as a uh, an institution of higher learning. Yes. So, you know, they yes. have to have stricter values because, you know, these are students. These are children. These are mom and dad's children who we're uh, protecting here. You know, I do like North Carolina, not North Carolina, Oregon's uh, three almost strike policy, though. Like, you don't get suspended from school unless you fail a, a test three times. The first time in the second, um, for their teams, first time and the second time, they just get you into almost a sort of like program and to, to explain more about it and its effects <laughs> where, and whatever. Where you meet new dealers. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, so I just I, I would like to see if the NCAA truly cared about their kids, I would I would like to see more things like that in place, especially in areas where, you know, I know you I, I know you can't do it one way for one set of schools and one way for another, but especially when in marijuana use is becoming legal and I believe it's in twenty out of fifty states, you, you have to start taking a look at your policies and see about revising them. Well, and my my question is, I mean, um, when they're doing drug testing, are they doing alcohol testing? I I doubt it. I mean, because, you know, I mean, if we're drug testing 19-year-olds and they're sitting there, you know, popping off a fifth the night before, but, you know, it's if they're in Oregon, it's legal for them to smoke pot, but they can't drink still, but they're drinking, that's not a problem. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what their policy on all of it is, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I guess the joke comes into, you know, you're at the University of Oregon. There's no damn way. I mean, God, you can you can pop a positive drug test by getting a secondary in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> to, borrow a, uh, to borrow a line from the movie Platoon, <laughs> shit's in the air, troop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good, good topics. Um, Wes, we are nearing the end of the show, so let's hit the watch for what have you been watching in the week that was or the week that will be. Oh, real quick, the uh, the absolutely horrible event that took place yesterday at my house is DirecTV came and installed the genie. Oh. And then uh, even though I'd asked them to leave the other uh, DVR because I had 80% of it full of TV shows. Mm-hmm. They took it. No. Yeah. Unfortunately, my, my sweet trophy wife did not know that I wanted to keep that, so she had no problem. Yeah, I guess it's the one to take. Go ahead. Mm. So I lost about 
five to six seasons of television shows on there. That is depressing. Luckily, I went on Netflix and found two of the three shows on Netflix, so I'm good on that end. Good. Um, but I did lose my Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Whatever. Uh-huh. Um, new show I started watching and actually started watching tonight, a Clint Williams show, Peaky Blinders. Ah, oh, you watched that. I'm two episodes in, and I'm totally hooked. Awesome. Have you watched you? I have not watched. I don't know that I'm going to watch it. I'm not a huge fan of especially like time period shows. It's good. It's I, I don't. De- Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I was thinking about this tonight when I was mm-hmm. going to talk about what I what I've been watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I was thinking about shows that I'm watching for reasons where I wouldn't normally watch them, and and a show that I know is great and amazing and I will never watch is Breaking Bad. I I have zero desire to ever watch an episode of Breaking Bad. That doesn't mean I don't think it's great. That doesn't mean I don't think it should win every award it ever has. Uh-huh. I just I I have no desire to watch it because I'm not into that sort of show. Same thing with Peaky Blinders. It I'm I have no doubt it's great. I have no desire to watch it. Well, it's kind of like I have no desire to watch the Agents of Shield stuff because that, just you know I'm, I, I know you enjoy it and I'm sure it's good and millions of Americans love it. It just doesn't do it for me. Millions more need to start loving it more. But how? how so have you? You've liked the Peaky Blinders though? <laughs> oh yeah, two episodes in. Uh, very 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 good. Chillian Murphy, um, fantastic. Uh, Sam Neill of Jurassic Park fame. Is that how you pronounce his first name, Chillian? That's how I'm saying it, because I don't know how to say it. I thought it was Cillian. Maybe it is. <laughs> He's Irish. Who knows? He was Let's see if I get a quick pronunciation on that. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Um, I mean, I probably am. I'm, I'm really good with the last names. You're much better You're much better with the first names. Yes. Why kick ass with the last names? Uh, oh, Killian. Oh, it's Killian. Ah. Killian. That is very Irish. Killian. Oh, that's even better. That's like from Running Man. <laughs> Killian, I'm going he, to kill you. He's married to a woman whose last name is McGinnis. <laughs> he's from he's from Douglas, Ireland, in County Cork. Come on, come on, dude. Really? Is she hot? I would imagine so. She's an Irish visual artist. Let's. I'm, I'm, a, I'm glad we both looked up his Wikipedia page at the same time. Yes, I don't know uh, that. Oh. oh. I don't know because I don't know which one of these. When I typed in Yvonne McGinnis, it just brought back Yvonne Strofsky. <laughs> Excuse me. Who no problem. She is? You don't know who Yvonne uh, Strofsky is? No. Am I supposed to? I guess I guess if you never watched Chuck or any other show she was in, you she was in, um, you, you never watched Dexter either, did you? Never watched what? Dexter. Uh, no. Then yeah, you you don't know. I mean, you can look her up. She's very attractive and wonderful. But um, yeah. So I don't know if we're ever gonna. is just not that hot. Really? Yeah. I mean, she's like it's sort of attractive in like an Irish way. But... Do like which which picture did you find of her? Because I, I haven't actually found a picture of her. I think. Oh, I just uh, I put in her name and Killian Murphy's name. Ah, okay. All right. That's all right. Uh, so it's pictures of them together. There we go. That's 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 the ticket. Yeah, but uh, my my favorite part at the end of uh, episode two is when uh, Killian Murphy is called a pikey. (laughs) 
So we're using some of that sweet, like old school British. Uh, it's set in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, excuse me, Birmingham. Birmingham. Uh, they're they're going to Cheltenham in the next episode. I mean, luckily I've heard of all these towns just basically <laughs> due to association football. <laughs> not not even the Premier League by any means. This yep. is just like oh, this is a this is League Two. <laughs> they're going to Doncaster next. I'm sure. I'm sure Doncaster. Uh, they they were uh, they were going to Cardiff in the last one. Oh, Cardiff, brilliant. Oh, they went to Cardiff. Uh, they've been to. Uh, they, they've had some stuff in Dublin. So I'm, I'm all in, man. All in. It's going to be a good one. Good Cardiff shot. has the uh, Millennium Stadium. That's right. That, the Millennium that will not be making an appearance in this show, obviously. No. No. This um, was built in the last millennium. My show for this week uh, is one that I, has just started second season. I'm on its second episode. Uh, and it's what I watched during the National Championship game for football. It's uh, Broadchurch, also an English show. This is a uh, a... I don't even know if I want to call it a crime drama. It's just really a drama uh, headed up by David Tennant uh, and Olivia Coleman, both of whom have been on Doctor Who as well as about 75% of the rest of the ensemble cast at one point, which makes me think England just has like 10 actors who go on every show at this point. Um, yeah, called, uh, it's called Downton Abbey. Yes, exactly. Um, so that it's it's a really good show. Though season one, really, really, really good. Um, basically, one long whodunit, but it was it, it wasn't so much always about the case itself. It was quick backstory. It's about a child who's murdered in this very small seaside British town that's made up called Broadchurch. Um, there are references to Southampton, which I always think is fantastic. Um, but. Oh, I love Southampton. Um, but it's it's just very well acted and it's very well written and the cinematography is great and there's just this always sort of impending sense of dread and how this this small, tight-knit community is getting ripped apart at the seams by this one murder. And uh, it's just it's just been fantastic television. Uh, we I don't know if we ever talked about it on this podcast. They they imported it over to the US this summer on Fox in the series Grace Point. Um, and actually they had the same lead actor in both, David Tennant, um, playing the same character just once with an American accent and now with his natural Scottish accent in uh, in the Broadchurch. Broadchurch, it's just so good. But it is a show that I would never start watching if not for me knowing like 90% of the cast going in and knowing how great they were. I never would have watched this kind of show. But it's fantastic. Really recommend Broadchurch. Okay. All right, so we both went British this week. We did. That seems and to Mrs. be a... And Mrs. Patmore was never mentioned. Oh, poor Miss Patmore. Lady Edith crying in a stall. All right, Wes, let us get so raw here at the end. And once again, Jeff Hardy oh. fell off a cage. But I'm yeah, sure so more stuff start, happened. Let's start with that, and then we'll get to, obviously, the biggest story of the week. Uh, Jeff Hardy just, God, you saw it. You saw it, right? Yes, I've seen the video. That's Okay, uh, took a bump. You know, I think he was supposed to come off the top of the cage. I don't think he was supposed to fall face first onto the stairs below. No, 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 no. But that's what made it newsworthy, because <laughs> if, it, if it, he hadn't gone face first into the stairs... It would have just been another day of Jeff Hardy's life. If you don't know who Jeff Hardy is, which, Ed, I'm kind of assuming you don't know who Jeff Hardy is. It's true. Uh, Jeff Hardy is one half of the former WWE team, the Hardy Boys. Um, 
he, he and his brother Matt, actually from uh, Cameron, North Carolina, uh, grew up in North Carolina. That's uh, that's kind of down near Pinehurst, yes. um, Sanford, that area. Uh, Union Pines High School, where they went to high school at. We're both very good baseball players growing up. Oh. Who uh, gravitated toward wrestling. Uh, Jeff Hardy, known uh, for his high-flying, uh, very high-risk-taking style. Uh, that has made him a, a lot, 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 lot of money over the years. I'm sure it has. Uh, now wrestling in TNA, um, Impact Wrestling. Uh, they are moving to a new channel, moving to Destination, whatever it is. I don't know. Destination TV, I think. Yeah, whatever it's called. Uh, moving there, and in one of the early tapings for one of their first shows, uh, they had a cage match. He took the big bump off the top of the cage. Uh, like we said, if he hadn't hit his face, would it just been another typical day of being Jeff Hardy? <laughs> his face super good though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really cool, and it got hey, it got him some publicity. So that's a good thing because people will be tuning in now to yeah. see. It, so. Too bad he won't help the WWE channel numbers. There you go. All right, now the big story of the week: the story broken by TMZ. Uh, of course, every year, the night before WrestleMania, which, of course, the biggest show of the year in the uh, sports entertainment world, uh, they they have the induction for the WWE Hall of Fame. You know, you always get some guys, you know, especially when you're me who's been watching wrestling since you were a little kid. You know, y'all, you, I know everybody who goes in, you know, I remember their matches, but there's always one or two big-time guys who highlight the class. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know. Obviously, this year, it's Pedro and the Three Dwarfs. at least in my mind. Um, But this year they went ahead and announced uh, the first person going in this year to the Hall of Fame. And it was a guy who um, actually kind of superseded just the wrestling world uh, was really uh, became a figure in mainstream America due to some sweet ass Slim Jim commercials. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, will be going in the Hall of Fame this year. Ooh. It's kind of been a big controversy for about 10 years now that he had not gotten in before this. Yeah. He, he was kind of like the Jim Rice of the whole thing. <laughs> and, and apparently, you know, Macho Man actually died in 2011 and had a heart attack, ran into a tree while driving. Um you know, th- there's always kind of been this thing that he and Vince McMahon had had a major falling out back in the mid-90s when he left the company. Um, you know, he was one of the few guys who never reconciled with Vince McMahon, you know, big-time star, never made a comeback, nothing. And now three years, four years later after his death, he's finally getting the Hall of Fame. And it's awesome that he's getting there. It's just it's kind of bittersweet that you know he's not alive to uh, go in. You know, kind of like uh, kind of like Ron Santo when he went in. You know, it's like well, it's great he's in. Would have been a lot better when he was alive if he had gone in. You know, right. So, um, but the Macho Man going in that is awesome. He was. Um, I'm gonna tell you, man, really behind Hulk Hogan and the Nature Boy Ric Flair, who I believe everyone knows who those guys are. Uh, Macho Man was probably the number three wrestler of the 1980s um, through at least the first six, seven years of the 1990s, uh, you yeah. know, big time guy, like we said, had, had a lot of mainstream appeal due to everybody. Remember, snap into the Slim Jim. Woo, yes. yeah. 
Everybody remembers that. Everybody does a Macho Man impression. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it's one of those things. Everybody did it growing up. So uh, great to see him getting in. That was awesome. Uh, as for as for the actual Raw show, I'll highlight just the uh, the uh, the contract signing at the end of the show uh, between Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, John Cena, triple threat match coming up. In about a week and a half now uh, for the Royal Rumble. Um, ended with uh, Seth Rollins dropping both competitors with curb stomps. So I was happy with that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Rollins guy. He, he is the top bad guy in wrestling right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm such a mark for Seth Rollins. He's great. I know you are. But what am I? <laughs> Get it? Yeah. I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? Yeah, okay. Well done, sir. I've been on here over two hours. I'm done. All right. Well, that is actually going to also do it for us here on episode 37 of the All New Sports Show. Make sure you check back with us next week where we'll still be talking soccer, college, basketball, and much, much, much more here. You never know where our tangents will take us. Hopefully, producer Des will have taken a shower by then as he's still celebrating Ohio State's win in the national championship game from this best Get you a free tattoo? (laughs) Call Jim Trestle about that, huh? Now he's telling us to wrap it up. Shut up, Dad. All right, but we have, of course, a myriad of ways you can get up with us if you want to also tell Des to shut up. you can. Yes, I know. You can go to Twitter, uh, the company. We are at All New Sports Show. Wes, you are? At Wes Bradshaw 21. I am at Edward Green. You can go on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube to uh, chat with us. You can also go to email us, allnewsportshow at gmail.com. Mail us, 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804. We'd also like to give a big shout-out to podbean.com for, of course, hosting our files on their servers and distributed them to you guys out there. We'd also like to thank iTunes Music Store and Stitcher Radio for carrying us. And big thanks to you guys out there for listening. We wouldn't do this without you guys, and we hope we can bring a little bit of lightness to what is, as we found out the last couple weeks, a very, very serious and sad world. Six sad world. All right, Daria, let's finish this up. God, are we just gonna just gonna emo out of this one? I guess. Got it. I I wish I wish our theme song was the Daria theme song sometimes. Uh, but from all of us here at the All New Sports Show, the podcast for producer Des, that was Wes Bradshaw. I am Edward Green. Check back with us next week for episode thirty-eight. But for now, have a great week, you guys, and go Tottenham Hotspur. What a cracker of a match today. Mm. Good Four night, two. Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. That's that's not an African country. Uh, I'm I'm all over the globe, man. Oh my god. Oh my god. What what have we done? What have we done? We need to get you a passport now. Oh god, no, not a passport. Not a passport. Okay, that's fine.